Blog Talk Radio. I find the whole mythology surrounding superheroes fascinating. Take my favorite superhero, Superman. Not a great comic book, not particularly well drawn, but the mythology. The mythology is not only great, it's unique. Now, a staple of the superhero mythology is there's the superhero and there's the alter ego. Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. When that character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider-Man. And it is in that characteristic Superman stands alone. Superman didn't become Superman. Superman was born Superman. When Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. His outfit with the big red S. That's the blanket he was wrapped in as a baby when the Kents found him. Those are his clothes. What Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. That's the costume Superman wears to blend in with us. Clark Kent is how Superman views us. And what are the characteristics of Clark Kent? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind, a journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged.
<laughs> what can I get you? Hey, Santa. A pony and an iPhone for my mom. She really wants one. That's a lot. Look, at Metro, they'll give you an iPhone 6S just for switching. Charlie Jingle Bells. I should switch to Metro. It's smart. You should. Get this unbelievable deal under your tree. Switch and get an iPhone 6S on us. Hurry, because deals this good don't last long. Metro by T-Mobile. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Not valid for current T-Mobile network numbers or numbers active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. You know, some time ago I was always counting down for Luke Cage, and we got past that. There's another countdown. Doctor Strange, early November, folks. This is the Grindhouse edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk. Normally, but he is on, out on assignment. But... I have the rest of the Doom Patrol. <laughs> I think there, there are other groups. What, I, what do I have at this time this week? Agents of Atlas. Okay, we're agents of Atlas this, this week. We have our left coast correspondent, Claire Lene, and, of course, local favorite, the uncanny Daryl B. We're going to talk about the New York Comic Con 2016, and somehow I have enough energy to do a damn show. Um, and I was un- unable to get Saturday's tickets. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the reasons why I decided to do a broadcast. And why not? Uh, it's just a lot of information to give our fan base, our listenership. So let's just get into it, folks. Uh, as a reminder, the call-in number is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. A chief cog in our spacely sprocket Machinery deals with urban alternative groove, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul, Afro punk, all that jazz. Uh, we even had an Afro punk blurred colloquium. Check out that $10 word. Colloquium on Thursday. So we'll talk about that as well. Anyway, let's go to this groove in honor of Afro punk. This is a new cut that I'm just becoming aware of and a new group called the Band Nerds. Why not <laughs> on Afro Nerd Radio? Band Nerds Fake in You. Give you about two minutes of groove. We'll be right back. With a gold that's higher than reefer smoke I Looking for reasons for leading, misleading Lies so easy to believe when you need them To keep in the key, cheating, no peace when you're losing And leaving everything that you believe in Dreams of quicksand, digging in a deep end Gold is cold in a pole and I'm freezing You can be a go-getter, now I'm so bitter Life's a bitch, but I dove in a No lose, no trolls, and it's slow motion to go And I feel like choking a rope around a dope Man, I can't cope with the pain, so I be broken I'm so sick of swimming in the now, but I'm soaking Looking for a chance to breathe when I'm choking With no one to blame Look 
passion searching for the lesson, nothing too clear to me. Look at my reflection, I am second guessing who I appear to be. I'm falling apart, we've been fucked from the start. Handshakes from the face, but I feel your heart, watch what you start. I was humble now, jaded, feeling some type of way about my city. Cause I know when we make it, y'all stay saying you were right there with me. Dallas observer, never observe me. Push to the side. Even though we cut competition like surgery Fuck it, we try Dallas goodbye once again, the appropriately named band, Band Nerds, on Afro Nerd Radio, Fake In You. Folks, this is the Grindhouse. Good evening. The call-in number, 646-915-9620. Just a lot to unpack. Let's just get into it. Unfortunately, the captain, Captain James Tiberius Kirk, unavailable. (laughs) He will be back Next time around. Anyway, the rest of our team is in full effect. This gentleman was in attendance with me at the New York Comic Con 2016. So without, with bated breath, let's just get into this thing. He is the uncanny Daryl B. To everybody who's wondering where POC representation would be during Comic Cons, we told you for years we were out here. I have never, ever seen it as in force as it was this year. So thanks, people. We're going to get into that one, too. You know this theme music? You know who this young lady is? We could not do the show. Why am I losing my voice? <laughs> we could not do the show without any kind of efficacy, without her wisdom and her grooves, <laughs> her knowledge. She is... Power Woman, Wonder Woman, our Left Coast correspondent, Claire Lene. Claire! Yeah! <laughs> How are you? I'm doing okay. We're waiting for you! Okay. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing alright, I'm doing alright. I'm glad you guys had a good time at the Comic Con. It wasn't good enough because you weren't there. It would have been great. Aww. I think you would have really, you would have dug it. I'm telling you. we got to figure it out next year. Trust me. There's so many people calling in now. Uh, let me bring Daryl in. I had his mic off. My apologies. Daryl, yeah, so many people at, at, the, at the midnight hour from our inner sanctum. Uh, I don't know if, if Claire is aware we use the term inner sanctum because she's part of the inner sanctum. If you didn't know, you're part of the inner sanctum. Uh, <laughs> that's a Dr. Strange reference, I think. Um, yeah, so uh, Sally V is part of our inner sanctum, and unfortunately, she's going. She's in there now. She, she decides to go down at 5 p.m. today. Oh man, good luck! I said on Saturday. 
Mm. So I said, okay, let's. We have a year to plan this the right way. That even includes getting Claire Lene in effect. Whatever we have to do, we'll work it out. Um, because you know, listen, we're in for the long haul, and she needs to see some things. Although she has her own West Coast, we might have to do that also. Either way, we'll figure it out. We got a year. So anyway, uh, I'm I'm broadcasting and I'm texting Sally uh, regarding her, uh, Sally and her husband. Johnny come lately, affectionately. Anyway, let's just get into this, Daryl. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? Before we get to the 2016 New York Comic Con, let's get to Claire's weekly roundup. Yeah, Claire, Claire you're you going to have a lot of news, baby. All right. Well, this will actually go by pretty quickly. I'll keep it brief, but there's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. All right. So let's start with the British newcomer, Cameron Cuff has been cast as the starring role of Seg L in the pilot Krypton. Uh, apparently Seg is obviously the House of L, part of the lineage that will eventually bring us Jor-El and Kal-El and, and whatnot. Uh, let's see. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., new director played by Jason O'Mara, is Jeffrey Mace, a.k.a. Patriot. Netflix's upcoming Marvel superhero series, Iron Fist, will be released March 17, 2017. The Punisher series has already apparently begun production, and it's been confirmed that Deborah Ann Wool has been seen on set, undoubtedly reprising her role as Karen Page on the spinoff. All eight Harry Potter movies will be shown in IMAX for one week starting October 13th, this being part of a campaign to promote Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which will be coming out next month. Doctor Who actor Noel Clark signs a three-picture deal to produce films that are, quote, commercially driven and diverse. A live-action version of Disney's Mulan will hit theaters in 2018. Tessa Thompson, Zoe Kravitz, and Naomi Scott are all among those testing for the female lead role in the Han Solo Star Wars spinoff. Warner Brothers will release an extended cut of Suicide Squad on Blu-ray December 13th. The official title for Wolverine 3 is Logan. The poster makes it seem more and more likely that the story will involve a younger version of the current female Wolverine in the comics, X-23, Laura Kinney. Key and Peele's Jordan Peele gets a February release date for his directorial debut, Get Out. James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez's Alita Battle Angel adds From Dusk Till Dawn series actress Aiza Gonzalez. Also in talks to join the project is Luke Cage villain Mahershala Ali. The Flash Season 3 premiere was down almost 14% compared to last year's viewership. Arrow's Season 5 premiere was down almost 29% compared to last year's numbers. Now keep in mind, this doesn't necessarily account for Live Plus 3, which tabulates DVR. It is safe to assume that streaming would also be affected since CW uh, shows are no longer available via Hulu, as I have mentioned previously. It's difficult to compare Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. by the same metric simply because it has moved to a later time slot. 
and networks already take into consideration that their 10 o'clock shows could potentially rely more heavily on streaming. S.H.I.E.L.D. has always been on the bubble, but Ghost Rider has given it a much-needed boost so far. Black Panther has added Rogue One's Forrest Whitaker to the cast. We'll also be seeing more Florence Kasumba, who you may recall from a brief scene in Captain America's Civil War. She plays T'Challa's chief of security. A movie has just been picked up by Sony, which will depict the life of Wonder Woman creator William Moulton Marston. The biopic will star Luke Evans, Rebecca Hall, and Bella Heathcote. Not only is Wonder Woman celebrating her 75th anniversary, but so is another DC character, Green Arrow. The film Loving has just been honored with the Social Justice Award at the Hamptons International Film Festival. Starring Joel Egerton and Ruth Nega as a couple who sued the state of Virginia after they were arrested for attempting to get married. In 1967, they fought and won a Supreme Court ruling which found any law prohibiting interracial marriage unconstitutional. Loving will be in limited release November 4th. With credits like Wreck-It Ralph, Big Hero 6, X-Men First Class, and Captain America Civil War, film composer extraordinaire Henry Jackman can add the musical scores of Birth of a Nation and the Jack Reacher sequel to his versatile resume. Birth was released yesterday, and Reacher will be released on the 21st of this month. Amazon-owned Comixology will start launching original digital access-only content. Batwoman will soon get her own ongoing comic series. The complete Luke Cage soundtrack is available on Spotify. And Marvel has recently started a charitable fundraiser supporting uh, children uh, called Superhero Acts. All right. Well, that's all I've got for this week's roundup. Back to you. All right, Claire. As always, I wouldn't expect any less from you. Great job. Uh, Folks, once again, this is the Grindhouse, the New York Comic Con 2016 edition of our podcast. Definitely feel free to call in, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. All right, uh, Daryl, before we get into this thing, I just got to mention this because it's been on my mind and I've been uh, sorely affected by what I witnessed earlier this afternoon. Um. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to see The Birth of a Nation, uh, but I was able to get tickets, and I did see it this afternoon, or, or this morning, actually. And we're going to talk about it. You know, I kind of threw it out there uh, as, as a last-minute thing. I'm sure that uh, the captain will say his piece when we have, it, uh, have a show on Wednesday, or at some point in the future we'll discuss it. I do hope the show, the, the show, pardon me. I do hope that the film, that the film performs well, you know, all of that controversy with the director and actor Nate Parker you know it's it's um I hope it doesn't weigh so heavily as as an albatross uh with this film but I'll just say off the off the cuff it's a rough man I, you know anytime you see these kind of films it puts you in a different mindset I I, I didn't know how to feel it, the Gabrielle Union scene huh no that was one of them. It was one of the, the, no, the scene was the teeth. Oh, the teeth. Ooh, okay. 
when I when I when I saw that, I just um, you know when you, when you see these films, you 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 learn. Yeah, they are they are in, instructional. Um, folks like Snoop Dogg, ever the consummate minstrel. Although I'll say he has talent, I purchased his music, so I don't want to be a hypocrite. But when he came out recently, in some kind of drug-fueled Instagram rant about not wanting to see slave p- films. Sure, you don't want to see slave, film, slave films exclusively. You don't want to see them exclusively. They have to be put out there as, uh, for balance. But just the fact that I, I learned yet another slave torture thing. Mm. You know, it, 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 we'll talk about it. And, and I, I don't want to kind of belabor it, and, you know, but it has to be discussed. Anyway, that's going further into the show, but I'm just letting folks know that I did happen to see it. Uh, I take it you saw it. You see everything. You did see I've, Birth of I've a Nation? Seen, I've seen various parts of it. I haven't seen it in its entirety. So, yeah, yeah, I know how rough this one is. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor, give you the mic. Uh, your thoughts about the first two days of New York Comic Con, your <laughs> personal highlights, your thoughts. Well, well firstly, uh, Message from various people last night. I got to meet Black. I got to meet Cassius. Cool people. They got to see my butt get kicked. Kevin was just killing me at at at, at, at the video games at Bullmore. So that uh, props to Geeks of Color and Black Girl Nerds and Nerds of Color and Commissile Terror Hawks and and <laughs> and Black Nerd Problems and, and Sister Geek, which that's going to be hilarious. It's going to be a tale I have to tell. And, man, just ran into so- Jason Wise. And if you don't see, if you haven't seen the picture yet, they did a big Black Heroes Matter group shot today. It's it's on my Twitter. I will be sharing that. I still got tears in my eyes. And as I say this, this is why I say, Claire, you, you would have enjoyed this. Oh, my God. I, I did not have a bad experience here. I had probably one of the greatest experiences of my life, and I missed today. Today had the panels I really, really, really wanted to be at were today. And I still had the greatest experience in my life on ch- on Thursday and Friday. That's with a hangover from the Thursday after party. Hi, Brooke. Yeah, you you just about killed me. Um, and last night, <laughs> I, I I don't know how I'm moving right now. All right, I, I'll just say it like that. Um, there's there's so many people to freaking thank. It 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 was going to take all show long, but the highlights. You know what? Let's start off. Let's start off right away with the panel. I know you're going to get into it, but if you went to the, that Afro Punks and Blurds panel on 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 Thursday night, all right, and you didn't come out with a renewed sense of knowledge and pride, I don't know. I don't know what else we could tell you. Uh, John Ira Jennings, uh, David Walker. Vernon Reed, Corey Taylor, um, um, Glover, Glover. Glover. Corey Glover, excuse me, my bad, um, 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 Dr. Sheena Howard, Blurred Girl, and uh, Miss Womack, because I can't pronounce her. No, oh, well, Jamie. Yeah, Jamie, Natasha, Natasha Womack and Jamie Broadnax. Personal stories, 
definitions. Uh, we they covered everything from Afrofuturism to to cultural appropriation. It, we, we only had an hour in there. This panel could have gone on longer. So I, I, I really, I, I, I'm, I'm a geek geek like that. I like that. I was getting stories. I was getting personal tr- uh, trials and tribulations. I was getting, I was getting uplifted. All right. So that's one. Um, I'll go into it because uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I got to bring my sister to her first Comic-Con yesterday. That was my sister's first Comic-Con, all right? Uh, my boy Kev hung out with me and, and Afro Nerd before, last year. That was his first. But we, as a group, were walking around. And um, I had friends like Cyrus there who had his family. They were geeking out, you know, and... It was just a family communal experience, you know, and it was, it, it felt, I won't even say pride anymore because I could run that into the dirt. It was just great. I mean, I talk about what, what happened today with the Black Heroes Matter thing, and that means a lot to me, but topping that, my sister got to meet Terry Moore. My sister stopped me and stopped Kev. This was before we ran into Afroner. Like, D, that's Terry Moore. I'm like, yeah, that's Terry Moore. Like, I, I, I got to go talk to him. I got to go talk to him. I just seen the joy as she went, Mr. Moore, it's because of my dumb brother here that I got caught up in Strangers in Paradise. And I found, I, I, I love your universe. And I... And it took me back before I got to be angry, before I got to be cynical. Like when I first met Larry Hammer. <laughs> when, when I first met Mark Wade. She did that type of geek out. You know, so, I mean, props. To, pro, uh, I can't thank Mr. Moore enough for his time. And, and Mr. Moore, I know you're not listening because you're stuck in the con, but she's reading Rachel Rising right now. She hasn't put the book down since I gave it to her. A giant omnibus bus, people. Just cracking up. But the cosplayers. This, this Comic-Con took it to a whole new level. And I'm not talking about the professional cosplayers. I mean, you are going to see pictures for the next two, three weeks to a month of... The fans and their cosplays, and oh my God, these things were on point. It was just, it was just so much. I, 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 we, I, I will take up the next. I will bow out here, but, but we, we're gonna go, just keep on going because, wow. And I didn't even get into the logic thing. And, and and we had fun the listening to Logic and Steve Bloom go on on Friday night, folks. It, it, it was great. But uh, I can't stress enough. I mean, I, I know I got, I've been jaded about Comic-Cons with how it's grown exponentially, but there's no denying seeing the amount of Latin, Asian, Arab, <laughs> black, white, young, old, Male, female, all in there, where 
packed to the gills at some points here, but everybody having fun, striking up conversations with comics, politics, life, society, economics, with people just around you randomly. And oh yeah, me and Afrinerd got to check out the Return of the Cape Crusader thing. Back to you, Afrinerd. All right, uh, where can I start? Well, um, let me let me also give you my my piece on the blurred and Afropunk gathering, which was at um, Thursday Thursday evening. Pretty much what Daryl said. Um, you had Vernon Reed, we know Vernon Reed and Corey Glover, who are the frontmen for the '80s group Living Color, and I found out that Vernon Reed specifically was a blurred. You know, the man can shred. He's probably one of the greatest guitarists. Um, I think it was even mentioned that Rolling Stone had him, I guess, in the top 80, uh, which is probably, you know, definitely not probably. He's under, definitely underrated. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, I even spoke to him personally, and I told him that, you know, I, I wanted him to bring back his podcast. He and W. Kamau Bell, the, the actor-comedian W. Kamau Bell, they had a, a podcast called The Field Negro's Guide to Arts and Entertainment. I believe that's, that was the name of it. And I listened to this podcast, and it was so refreshing that when these gentlemen would speak, uh, they would just riff, riff about their careers and riff about their interests. And their rent, interests, of course, were of a nerd cultural uh, aesthetic. So Vernon would go into these, these, these diatribes about the racism that H.P. Lovecraft would employ, that d- despite uh, Lovecraft being a prolific writer or, or short story writer, he incidentally was also a racist, <clears throat> which is a difficult thing to deal with because we, we've all read H.P. Lovecraft. A lot of his, his um, short, short stories have been adapted for film and for even comic books. But then he would use terms like nautical Negroes. I mean, you know, like, you know, just weird stuff, weird notions. He was a man of his time. Uh, although we're, we seem to be going, you know, wanting to make America great again. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, he, would, he would riff about that. He would also riff about, about things like uh, a DC Elseworlds comic book that I ended up buying. He had mentioned that uh, this Elseworld book was a crossover with DC and Marvel, where Batman, always Batman, Batman had a, a, a scuffle, a kerfuffle, <laughs> with Daredevil, and he was able to deduce that Daredevil was blind by the way he was fighting. And I said, okay, i got to get this book, but I have to also be impressed, (coughs) pardon me, impressed with his knowledge. Sorry, folks. Now I'm having a coughing fit, Um, like Hillary Hillary Clinton. Anyway, um... So we, we we would riff about things like he would riff about things like that. David Walker is a, is a friend of our show, and of course David would talk about uh, his own personal trials with being a person of color, a black person, and doing things that allegedly you're not ascribed to being able to do. Uh, how dare you listen to Bad Brains? How dare you listen to Living Color? Why do you do these weird things? And um, he also spoke about the fact that, you know, he existed before the term blurred or Afro-nerd or black girl nerds or nerds of color, any kind of of descriptor 
that we have now, they, there was no such thing like that for him going back 20-plus years ago. So it's, it's refreshing to kind of get into a communal thing. And he spoke about his own personal battles and how the music and how the culture helped him to overcome some of his personal issues. Um, Dr. Sheeta Howard, we've interviewed before. Jamie Broadnax, we've interviewed. David Walker, of course. Uh, uh, John Ira Jennings, Professor John Ira Jennings. Uh, we, were, uh, we were interviewed him, and we also were pan- panelists on uh, this year's, this, this year's uh, Black Comic Festival in Schomburg uh, Center in Harlem. So, I mean, these folks got together and just spoke about just the times that we are living in and how as much as we, we have progressed, there's so much more work to do. So it was, just, it was really, really special to, to go to something of, 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 a, of a nerd aesthetic for people of color at New York Comic Con, which many years ago, they really did not have panels like this, and they just were overflowing. Um, in transit yesterday, now that was Thursday, in transit yesterday, I missed the 50th anniversary, or the 50 years, I believe, pardon me, 50 years of, of the Black Panther, and they had Tom Nazi Coates on the panel, Christopher Priest on the panel, and Brian uh, on, on the on the panel. Uh, am, I, am I pronouncing his name correctly, Daryl? Uh, it's close enough. I always use Stelfree, so. Yeah. Um, I, I, I saw that pop up on my phone as I'm going down the Queens Midtown Tunnel. I was like, oh, man, I can't believe that I missed that. So hopefully it'll be, it will be available on, online at some point. Uh, and as Daryl had referenced, we had a very special um, preview, the, the entire movie, of a of of Batman 1966 basically you had a Batman animated movie with Adam West Adam West was in attendance Adam West a mature man now he's in his he's in his late 80s still still very much Adam West <laughs> Mayor West was in the house and I would I just couldn't I couldn't get over the quality of the animation I mean this is one of those moments. We're getting to these to these these places now, where you're seeing so much um, adroitness with adroitness with being able to mimic what we've known years before. Uh, I have a liking for the Star Trek Continues fan fan series that's on YouTube, and this reminded me of it. Even though it was animated, it really took me back. To those, to those, those old Batman, you know, kid, kitschy, that kitschy TV series, and I mean, many of these folks are no longer with us. But you know, listen, Adam West, of course, Burt Ward was was doing the voice work, and Julie Newmar was doing the, doing the voice voice work for the Catwoman, and they made, they of course they broke the fourth wall, they made kind of vague uh, sexual references, you know, tongue in cheek. Um, they, they, some shade thrown toward uh, the the new Batman Batman iterations. Uh, they even had a, a a moment when Batman, you know, the the bang bang wham boom, you know, the the animated part we we all know from the the intro of Batman sixty six. There was a moment when during one of their infamous fight scenes that Batman gets hit and he, he has kind of a blurred vision moment. And he, he he's looking at Wonder Woman, 
And then Wonder Woman splits into three visions of oh, Cat Woman. Wonder Woman. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Wonder Woman. Catwoman, uh, past visions of Catwoman, woman. So he sees three cat women in his blurred vision, and one of them looks clearly like uh, Eartha Kitt. So, uh, you know, the one thing I was missing, Daryl, no reference to y- y- Yvette, Yvonne DiCarlo. Um, that would have been cool. But she passed relatively within the last two years. Well, I thought, so I think, I thought, I thought that's who the third Catwoman was. She's she's Batgirl. I know, I know, no no Batgirl. But I thought because the the third Catwoman there looked kind of like her, because you remember her her thing was kind of orangish. But yes, I wanted to see Batgirl in there too. And even the even the voice work for the for the Departed folks of of the, those series from the '60s was pretty much on point. I mean, the Frank Gorshin guy, you know, was pretty close. It was close enough. But the Cesar Romero, I mean, I, I had a great time. And it, it really did take me back to Saturday afternoons. I mean, by the time I saw, saw that stuff, it was way past. You know, I, I wasn't around when it, when, it was, when it was aired originally. But, um, I, you know, like many of us, many kids, you know, you got to see that in syndication. But um, I, I just couldn't get enough of it, to be honest with you. A- any other highlights that you can think of, Daryl, that we might have? I mean, it's a lot. Well, well remember. You referenced, you referenced Logic, Logic, the, the rap artist. Uh, one of the few lap, rap artists that I actually respect that kind of has a classic, even though he's a newer artist, relatively newer artist, he has a, a classic artist, a classic rap artist style. He's a lyricist. You know, right, we're in a, in a point now where we don't really have the, those anymore. So, well, um, he, he, and he's also a nerd. He's, 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 he is a nerd that has, has come into his own. He even said that he was fighting this, this nerd thing. And he said, F it, more or less. I'm a nerd. I'm going to embrace this thing. So his music is going to reflect that, even though he admitted, admittedly said that the rap industry really isn't conducive to nerd culture in its present form. Daryl? Yeah, well, well, that is true. Just listen, and, and I brought up the name Steve Bloom, who was with him. Steve Bloom, voice of Spike Spiegel on Cowboy Bebop, all right? But American audiences will famously know him as the voice of Wolverine in most of the X-Men animation. <laughs> Most notably, uh, X-Men Evolution and, and Wolverine and the X-Men. Steve Bloom was that Wolverine, right? And they, yo, he's gushing over him, gushing over him. And what I was thinking to myself is we need more nerds when they meet their heroes to be as eloquent as Logic was there. Because granted, uh, I, I'm a big Logic fan. <laughs> I won't. I I got the incredible story. I got I got under pressure. My sister and Kevin did not know who he was going in. They know who he is now. That's the impression he gave. And his hey, he preaches peace and uh, positivity and prosperity. And he lives it. And and, and that was great to see. The other thing I want to mention, and I, I got to give it up because the, these people were accommodating. Marjorie Wu, 
uh, Sana Takeda, sorry for messing up your name. The women from Monstrous, you women are awesome, all right? I picked up the Black Panther 1 uh, cover uh, uh, by Mark Brooks. Ended up having a, a nice discussion with him, and that's right now in Afro Nerd's uh, uh, possession right now. I saw it. I went, I have to get this. I know someone who would appreciate it. That. Um, Jerome Walford <laughs> and Stephen Harris, Robert Garrett. <sighs> Yo, the block was lit. Let's put it this way. The block was lit. That That was... Great, just great innovators and stuff. I, I, I always love Comic Con because you have talks with these guys on Twitter, maybe from 15 to 30 seconds, and you don't really know the people. It's great that most of the people that I've talked to on Twitter, on Facebook, about their projects, and then meet them in person, face to face. You know, I I love that. And again, I have to bring them up. Jason Wise started this Black Heroes Matter T-shirt thing in San Diego, and I can't tell you the amount of times I got stopped asking, "Who wants that? Where's that shirt being sold? Where is he?" And I actually got to walk right into him and Mashimbo Kumba. Sorry, I know I messed that that name up. <laughs> on Friday, and he was—he told me straight out he didn't think this would get this big, and here we are today—a huge flash mob <laughs> pick of literally hundreds of people of color wearing either that shirt, black cosplayers, <laughs> Asian cosplayers. I—I—I—I. I, 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 this is my dream. <laughs> this is literally been my dream for years equal representation at the table and we may not have it totally industry wise but fan wise we are here now so that being said hey marvel with that iron fist don't backtrack on us son we 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 want this we crave this we need this back to you after well, also, you know, you mentioned uh, Mishindo Kumba. Uh, we had a, like an hour-long conversation, a, a building moment. Uh, I'm familiar with the gentleman because of the Black Comic Book Festival. And Mishindo Kumba had a, um, a business relationship with Wesley Snipes going back some years now because Wesley had bankrolled this, this uh, Afro-futuristic cartoon or uh, Afro-futuristic animated effort and uh, during the festival, he had it on the, on the widescreen where it looked like it could have easily been a Wakanda. Matter of fact, Mashindu, Mish- um, he, Mashindo, pardon me, he also spoke about, we're going to get him on the show, obviously. He was, he's like, okay, we've got to do this. Um, we had just a, a great, that would have been a, a show within itself, just our hour-long conversation. But uh, he had some somewhat of untoward words about the Black Panther, what it may be, because, if, and again, I, would, I might agree, because he had the schematics for what a Wakanda could look like. And it would have been interesting if they had gone to someone like him 
as a consultant. But hey, hey we haven't we haven't seen the film yet. So I'm, I'm I'm if you got Forrest Whitaker in effect now, I mean there's a lot of stuff that that Claire uh, reported on earlier. You got some top flight talent involved in these projects now. So I'm going to take a I'm going to do a Daryl B and have a, a wait and see attitude about this thing. But I, I will give props to Machindo because I was impressed with what I saw, and someone should also uh, connect with this just gentleman, so we can see something like that in the future, even if it's not the same effort, something similar. I think we should we should see more. <clears throat> um, Claire, listen, you've been silent. Unfortunately, you, you weren't you weren't able to make this thing. Um, I don't know if you you said I don't think you've ever actually ever gone to a convention. Is that true? I mean, a convention even on, on, in your area. Um, unfortunately, yeah, that's true. Oh, oh, we have to make this happen. <laughs> we we have to make this happen. This has to happen. Well, you know, when, when Sally V texted me, she had said, and I told her, you know, she even though she she's there now at the last minute, that she was overwhelmed. That she, she said, I don't know what to do. I have no, you know, no logistics. I don't know what to do. And uh, you will definitely need to have someone as a guide for you to deal with New York Comic Con. I, I remember my first New York Comic Con. I literally was in the middle of middle of the event and just kind of spun around like an idiot, and like a, like a Wonder Woman thing, because I, I couldn't. It was it was an overload to the senses. There's so much going on. I mean, now I can treat it somewhat. Still, it's 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 something you could look at in wonderment but uh you could still be taken aback uh but i i kind of know you know it's, it's not as um you kind of know what you what, what you have to do but it's still a spectacle and each year they raise the ante they certainly raise the ante um so, so i have to mention some negatives though because this has become such become such a monster daryl uh, the fact that you had to sign this fan verification form, ladies and gentlemen, this, this, it's this new thing. He just started it this year, where you have to fill out this form to pretty much give your bio, identify yourself, and and I, I guess it's for them to really know who you are in getting that in getting a ticket. So you just can't buy a ticket. It was it was always difficult to get a ticket, but now you have to fill out a form to kind of lock you in. So you have to get this, you know. So 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 you have to be on the li- on the list to be able to even buy tickets. You never saw that before. Uh, Friday's show, specifically, there were lines like out into the street, I, I, you know, uh, blocks away. It was crazy. I said, you know, Thursday Thursday normally is is a softer day, although that's changing because people are starting to figure out that hey. Thursday's a lighter day, and I could probably walk around. You can walk around, but people are starting to figure that out. Thursday's normally a vendor thing. It's normally for the big wigs. If, if a person wants to wants to put down um, five figures, six figures for a comic book, that's the day to do that. It's more of an insider's thing. However, still, you have panels. It's still going down. Um but you can you can walk around. I didn't I didn't see the kind of the kind of crowd crowds for Thursday that I did for Friday. And I can only imagine what happened today. It, it, it is something special. It's cool to to meet up with people that follow us, follow this show, 
they may want to see us in person and build and bond with us. A lot of, a lot of positive talk. Uh, I think that's important. Uh, a lot of lamenting as well. I mean, there's things that still need to be straightened out. We know that Marvel has an Asian problem. We've got to, we've got to work hard to fight that. Uh, but again, and, and just to let Claire know that we, we hooked up with some folks. Um, we've got to talk to them as well. We have their card, Daryl. Uh, I, I believe they were of Arabic extraction, or they might have been Indian. Um, but they they told us about Blurred Con in D, in D.C. in 2017, and Blurred Con might as well be called Diversity Con. Blurred Con is is intentional in gathering folks of color to do their own thing. So it is very much inclusive. It's not just Blurreds, even though it's called Blurred Con. And I, you know, they told us about it. So it's going down. These things are getting big. So I got to figure out the blurred con thing. I got to figure and, that out now. Yeah, and and Claire, like I said, just to let you know, and this is where I give all the uh, credit to nerds of color. This Asian representation this year, wow, and. It used to be because it was connected to Anime Con, which they're separating next year again. It used to be just because they would mostly be on the anime side. And no, 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 no. Your brothers and sisters were all over this thing. Matter of fact, the best cosplay I saw was an authentic, authentic, I, I, I can't stress authentic enough, Cora, by this Asian girl who couldn't be more than 14, 15 years old, had everything down, including uh, I forget I forget her was it not Appa, the uh, Cora's pet, like a little plush one right on her shoulder. Blew me away, but I couldn't get the pick because we were crowded as hell. <laughs> so oh, wait a minute, we, we took. You took a picture of um, uh, was it was it was it a Wonder Woman or a, I forgot what it was uh, I forgot what they were dressed as. Oh, the Captain um, Marvel Sister Geek. Yes. That I didn't know that was Sister Geek. Me and Sister Geek have had talks on Twitter for about since I joined Twitter. I didn't know that was her until she was talking to her friend. And she let it drop. Yeah, I was, I was Monica Rambeau in the Captain Marvel and uh, and Cal Danvers no, Captain Marvel uniform. No, I'm not even talking about that. I'm not, and I'm I not went, even talking about that. Wait, I'm not even I went, about wait. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Which no, one? I'm thinking about the the, the t- two two uh, Asian folk, male and female, that you took pictures of, and uh, what, oh. what were their characters? Oh, the Cap, uh, the Shazam, aka Captain Marvel, and the Supergirl. Right, <laughs> right. And I, we gave them big, we gave them big ups, gave them cards, of course. Build, building, a lot of. I, there's a word that I hate to use because it's so much of an SJW word. <sighs> Intersectionality. <laughs> I don't like the word. I'm just going to say building, cross building, for for my purposes. Because I think that word has some kind of phoniness attached to it, but the fact that we that we were able to build build and look at look at folks of color in the totality, and a lot of that was going on. A lot, people kind of know we, we, you give people looks, and people kind of know like, you know, instinctively it's going down. So Claire, you know, 
we, we'll figure this out. But rest assured that the things are starting to, you know, we got to talk about um, this Bruce Lee effery. You know, I want to say the other word. Oh, God. And listen, I'm at the point now where I don't want to talk about this, but I, I put it in at the last minute because if we don't talk about this stuff, then we can't create the change. It's only because, listen, it, it, it looks like, well, it is. There, it is a blurred renaissance right now. It's a blood renaissance, and I'm pretty sure Claire kind of figures this out, that um, the way things kind of, kind of sort of go is that black folk are usually the, canary, the canaries in the coal mine. Uh, the fact that it's the Barack Obama means it's going to be, at some point in the future, a person of Asian descent or a person of Latin descent that's going to be in that White House. It is inevitable. It is inevitable. So um, you have a blurred renaissance. But I foresee – there is a foreshadowing for everyone else. That's just the way it has to work in this country. So, I mean, you, you're just going to have to – you have to be patient, unfortunately, or maybe not so patient. <laughs> I know that um, we had to just shout out about this Black Panther film, and we were told by Lou, Lou D'Esposito just a few years ago that the logistics weren't going to work, uh, it's in Africa. How's that going to work? I mean, all these, all, all you heard was no, 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 no. And you're scratching your head saying, well, wait a minute. You have, uh, you have an Asgard that you were able to build out of thin air. So you, you know why, this, why and what this is. So we have to talk about this Bruce Lee effery. I want to say the other word, but I can't. <laughs> this effery because the, the more that the pressure is put on these folks, the more we're able to, we're, go, we're, we're going to get what we need to get. Um, I think we need, I think we need to pay the bills. I'm going to start saying that more now, uh, <laughs> folks. You'll figure this out. We're, we're getting sponsorship, and uh, in the live broadcast, you're not going to get it. But sometime in the future, it'll make perfect sense. So um, it's it's going down even for our operation as far as sponsorship. So. Let's let's pay some bills. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. <laughs> and let's go to a groove as well. Um, when we get back, I, I want to talk about a number of things, but let's let's talk about one of my personal heroes and how, in death, we get screwed. Um, it, it is what it is, but I think that we will definitely uh, have a reckoning. So, more herb alt. Groove. This gentleman was actually part of the Luke Cage soundtrack, which was Claire talked about. That was released. Charles Bradley. This is giving you some of that. Uh, how would I describe it? Re- revivalist soul. This is. You know what? This isn't from. Uh, oh. I, I don't need this. I'm trying to. Get, I, I really want to get get the accurate song, folks. Bear with me. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, Ain't it a sin? Ain't it a sin is actually from the Luke Cage soundtrack. So 
paying the bills, going to a groove, we'll be right back. Ho, 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 what can I get you? Hey, Santa, a pony and an iPhone for my mom. She really wants one. That's a lot. Look, at Metro, they'll give you an iPhone 6S just for switching. Charlie Jingle Bells, I should switch to Metro. It's smart, you should. Get this unbelievable deal under your tree. Switch and get an iPhone 6S on us. Hurry, because deals this good don't last long. Metro by T-Mobile. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Not valid for current T-Mobile network numbers or numbers active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Charles Bradley, ain't it a sin. The truth. I tried. Hey, Ray! I tried to be a righteous man. I tried to get love all over the world. But I'm tired of being you. Be a righteous man. Talk to the Lord, most 
Okay, one of the grooves from the Luke Cage soundtrack, Ain't It a Sin by the equally great Charles Bradley, giving you some of that revivalist soul. You know, I, I have to talk about this uh, for a moment. Um, what we do on our show, of course, deals with the, the alternative music scene, uh, black indie, however you would want to describe it, Afropunk and so forth. But there are groups like Sharon Jones that deal with maturing artists. They're mature artists and yet they're doing new music from a classic perspective. So when you listen to a Charles Bradley, it very much it's new music, but it very much sounds like it could have easily been done in 1968, 1970, 72. So I really appreciate that sound, and it was befitting that Charles Bradley, that he made an appearance on Luke Cage performing this song. Uh, as well as the song being included, of course, in the soundtrack. One other uh, thing is that I put down as a, um, I should say, anecdote that I put put in as a topic, uh, and this is this makes me so uh, it's so frustrating. His Royal Badness, Prince Rogers Nelson. Uh, it's kismet. All this stuff is tangentially connected. Cheo Hidari Coker. Um, he is a princeologist. He's a prince guy. And he was working on getting Prince involved in some capacity. Matter of fact, the swear jar, the swear jar is a Prince thing. And I don't know why I didn't pick it up, because Prince did have this thing uh, later, later in life um, where he, he, he gave up on the swearing thing. So the swear jar was an homage to Prince, and he clearly had Prince in mind, if anything, a walk-on, or perhaps even a, I would assume one of the performances. That would have been that would have set Luke Cage in the stratosphere for me, and maybe even a pop culture, pop culturally to have that gentleman involved. But uh, you know, the fates had something else in mind. So that that makes me extremely, extremely melancholy that 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 we didn't get a chance to see that. That would have been historical, actually, in, in my in my estimation. Uh, anyway, let's let's get back to another historical figure. One of my personal heroes. I mean, I have my own. Uh, you know, now we're being told that certain things are toxic masculinity. Not that there isn't a thing, a, a, such a thing. Uh, shout out to, <laughs> shout out to Donald Trump. We, we, we're seeing we're seeing toxic masculinity up close. And not that we haven't, but some of it, a lot of it is not necessarily that. Some of it is is heroics. Whether it's Jim Brown and or Jim Kelly, or Steve McQueen, and Bruce Lee fits in that in that in that paragon. So there's a new film that's out called Birth of the Dragon, martial arts biopic or biopic, uh, directed by George Nolfi, written by Christopher Wilkinson, and we're seeing a a, a, a meme that all of us. All of my co-discussants, we, we talk about this ad nauseum, um, whitewashing. And Bruce Lee deserved far better. We, st- we are still talking about Bruce, Bruce Lee, uh, what, 43 years after the man passed the earthly plane. Uh, he was a philosopher, educated, uh, perhaps one of the most physically fit human beings that walk the earth. Um, 
someone who was definitely about intersectionality. In this, a word I don't necessarily like, but okay, let me go back to what I was listening to. Building. Culturally, he was he was dissuaded from from teaching martial arts to to outsiders, but he debunked that and and taught folks like Lou Alcindor, who you now know as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Steve McQueen, and, and other uh, friends, and he he did the cross-racial building, and that that was a no-no during that time. So, I mean, he, he was a groundbreaker and philosophically a groundbreaker. And this film does a disservice, and I'm looking at kind of like a, a Matt Damon thing going on, well, where the you have actors of Asian descent in front of the camera, but behind the scenes you see how this effery goes down, where the... The, the the white actor there's there's a white actor there to be the protagonist even though it's Bruce Lee's story and on top of that they give they give the impression that Bruce Lee was this 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 kind of out of control cocky madman when when his family who's still very much around uh, his wife and daughter unfortunately. Jason Scott Lee, who was who was who had his own trajectory, and he died young, uh, very much like his father, which is just eerily just an eerie thing. But for this to go down in this time, where the heat is on you, and we continue to see this time after time after time, this inaccuracy and this disrespect not only to the Asian community, but to people of color in the, to- in the total sense, in the totality, and to people who looked at this man for guidance and for, for, as a hero for this disrespect, it is unconscionable. But we're going to talk, we have to talk about it, we have to, we have to fight the fight. So as much as I, I really was in an emotional set between this and between the other birth film, uh, it, it's a little bit much to take, but we have to persevere in order for these things to be changed. They ha- they they must change. Anyway, let me uh, let me pass the mic around. Claire, I know that you um, we go through this almost every show, but give us the long of it. Give us the short of it. I've got nothing. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna tell you straight up. I've got nothing for you, nothing, nothing. You know why? Because I've already said my piece a hundred times over. So when you sent me that link, and you, you know, you, I saw the words Bruce Lee and this effery. Yeah, but I, I was like, one. oh, no. Oh, hell no. Oh, my heart. Oh, my heart. Can't take it. I can't. I can't. I'm not even going to open it. I'm not even going to read it. I can't. I can't put any more of this in my mind because I've already got a lot of other stuff that I'm stressing over. And I, and and you know what I'm saying? Like, as much as I want to try to just breathe and forge ahead and move past it and just deal with it, I I can't. You, I'm telling you, when someone even utters 
utters the words ancient one or ghost in the shell, my my blood starts to boil. So when you sent me that, I was like, I can't even look at this. I can't. I just can't. So I'm not going to say anything right now, but but just for the sake of our listenership, I feel that you should go ahead and um, explain what exactly happened in this, uh, what do you say, this movie? I'm sorry, I'm, perhaps I misunderstood earlier when you sent that to me because I thought it was, it was about the, uh, the reviews about, you know, the comic books and Shannon, and I, that's what I thought you were talking about when you were talking about Bruce Lee. But now you're telling me that there's a movie, so oh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> go ahead and let me no, know. It, 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 it gets worse. Let our listeners no, what, what, know what exactly happened. Okay, but well, I'm not going to say anything right now. Okay, and I and I understand that. What the deal is is that you have this film uh, released in actually I believe last year. I'm sorry, last month in September, um, and the reception on the film is not kind. There's there's a Caucasian character uh, who was given the the lead role. Now again, it's called Birth of the Dragon. Uh, if I'm if I remember correctly, Bruce Lee's um, Chinese name, I think, translates into Little Dragon. I, I believe if I remember correctly. Um, it's about him. It's his film. And yet, in a Matt Damon moment, Steve, Steve McKee, who, plays, who is the Caucasian character, is, a, is the lead role. Is the lead role. And I guess he, he, he's meant to be... Uh, he he usurps the place of of an Asian character. In other words, if there was going to be uh, uh, a story of Bruce Lee, the colleague would have been an Asian person. In order to sell the film, they had a Caucasian man there. So the Caucasian man takes the lead role, even though it's about Bruce Lee. Who um, does he play? Steve McKee. Steve Steve McKee is is the character. He plays it to the name Steve. I mean. That's who he plays. Okay, so what what does this have to do with Bruce Lee? Well, what it has to do is that the, the film is is about Bruce Lee, but is being told by this by this the character Steve McKee as his as his martial arts student. In other words, the, the, Steve McKee's a real person, or supposed to be a real person. But oh, so the, it's it, more it about the white guy real as his person. student. Be, yeah, being a student. Mm. Uh, can I help there, you? There literally, there literally was nobody, like nobody, no Asian that could tell this story? Are you saying that? Are you telling me that? There are no Asians. It is impossible to find an effing Asian to tell the story of Bruce Lee? Is that what you're telling me? Well, they have an actor, Philip Ng. He plays Bruce Lee, and he, um, he's, a, a, he's a good martial artist. He's a good martial artist actor. The problem is the writing, the plot, how they sold this film—a total mistake. But you know what? I'm I'm a I'm a black kid from Queens. 
older kid, but I'm a black kid from Queens. I, I don't have the connection except from what I saw in film at $5 uh, movie shows and marathons uh, when, when I grew up, okay? This is from Heather Chen, all right, of the BBC, okay? She got to interview or she uh, posted a transcript from Shannon Lee. Folks, Shannon Lee is, is Bruce Lee's daughter. She has her own biopic in production for Bruce Lee. Okay? That, that, that this thing is jumping. All right? And I, I, I quote, this will only take a second. Okay? Uh, but Lee's daughter, Shannon, has distanced herself from the biopic and announced plans for a second Bruce Lee movie currently in the works. She told a U.K. newspaper, there have been projects out there involving my father, but they've lacked a complete understanding of his philosophies and artistry. They haven't captured the essence of his beliefs in martial arts or storytelling, and the only way to get audiences to understand the depth and uniqueness of my father is to generate our own material. I have nothing more to add to that. That was Shannon Lee. Okay, and folks out there, her comic involving Bruce Lee, The Dragon Rises, number four, will be in stores on Wednesday. I support the comic. I ain't supporting this film. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. Yeah, well, again, um, you know, I, I don't know if folks understand, I mean, millennials specifically, I don't know if they understand the 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 gra- gravity of Bruce Lee in the Americas. Um, and I guess some of it is somewhat comical in the sense that uh, Bruce Lee was, was such a phenomenon that uh, many of us became aware of him as Cato in the, Bruce, um, in the Green Hornet series in the 60s, which was meant to be a compliment, a darker compliment to, the, to what we discussed a bit earlier. Uh, a darker compliment to the Batman series. You know, Batman was, was, was just camp. But with Bruce Lee's involvement as a real martial artist, you couldn't stop that guy. <clears throat> so what happens is, uh, when I say comical, is that Bruce Lee, even though it was called Green Hornet, see, see when Bruce Lee was alive, uh, this type of effery, even in the 60s, could, could not stop this guy. Because in China, when they played the Green Hornet series, even though it was, it was called the Green Hornet, they called it Kato, the Cato Show. <laughs> I mean, literally, it was called the Cato Show, and it really was the Cato Show. The only, why, the only reason why you looked at Green Hornet was because of Cato. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's just unquestionable. So, um, Have you seen with... It? What this the movie? Yeah, Birth of a Dragon. Uh no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just reading up on it online, just kind of getting as much information as I can because you know, honestly, you even bringing this up is the first that I'm hearing of it. I was like I said, I thought you were talking about something with Shannon and her project and the comic and whatnot, but I'm reading up on this and we're talking about like this just happened. This like literally just happened. It premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival last month. And it's getting killed. 
absolutely killed. And you want to know why? If you put, oh, Birth of a Dragon, and then the first picture you show is Bruce Lee, Philip Ning as Bruce Lee in a fight scene, folks are going to think one thing going in there. And then you sit down, and the majority of the movie focuses on this white dude. No offense to this white dude. I don't know who the actor is, but I think I'd be going in looking for Bruce Lee. And from the word, from from how Shannon phrased it here, okay, you would think you do this. You would want to get a stamp of approval from the Lee family before releasing it. And if they didn't like it, uh, you would change how you like market it. But it ain't about honoring the man. It's about making a dollar. Mm, mm, that's right. Oh my goodness! I just saw the picture of this kid. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my goodness! He is as white as they come. Oh, and he's from your area, Queens. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I have to rep this. This well, is not We're not good. claiming him. This we're not, not claiming good. him on that. You're not. Oh, okay. You're not, not claiming. Good. Okay. No, we're not doing All that. right. Well, dang. <laughs> we don't claim dang. Trump either, by the I mean, way. I thought you were just Queens. being hyperbolic when you said no. that they that they that they met Damon this s, but wow. They met Damon no. this s. Yes. yes. Wow. No. no, that that Matt that Matt, da- Matt Damon reference is a double entendre, because uh, matter of fact, Daryl, you know, I today. Today I got a a Twitter blast or an app blast. <clears throat> pardon me for for the the Great Wall. Oh yeah. They had a panel. They had a panel, and and I wasn't shocked that you know the the, the app blast tells you that seats were still available. Who was going to go to that? Oh, I, I mean, oh, I, 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 like I said, I, I may not be able to go. I got like two weeks of blogs I'm behind on. But once that came up, I I, w- I had the nerds of color on, and I've just been following them, following this, and laughing my balls off. Sorry to get referenced well, like that, but these folks actually thought, hey, we're going to get a positive response. Right. I want to say that because, because, listen, over the years, over the years, New York Comic Con has become a lot more radicalized. I can't imagine that that would have got gone down, and the audience would have been complacent to say, "Hey, it's Matt Damon or whatever, and everything's cool." They they will get very vocal and tell you this is effery, and this is not allowed. I mean, you know, now you know what you're telling me, especially when you sent me that picture, when you sent me that picture of of an Asian Shazam and an Asian Supergirl. I mean, from what you're telling me. If you got a pretty healthy, you know, dose of Asian and Latin and black and, you know, POC, you know, running around up at, you know, New York Comic Con, I cannot imagine that seeing any sort of, you know, promotional material for something like the Great Wall or for this nonsense, you know, Birth of a Dragon featuring this blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy. I mean, I, I just don't understand. We've talked about this before, and it's a matter of, oh, well, maybe they just don't know how to read the room. No, this is, this is absolute denial. 
This is willful. This is choosing to be blind, deaf, and dumb. This is basically taking everything that has been said in the last couple years loudly, angrily about Ancient One, Ghost in the Shell, Aloha, you know, Exodus, you know, gods of Egypt, whatever. This is just saying, oh, well, that's not important. It's okay. That's just a very small group of people, you know, complaining. You know, that's just, that's that's like, that's like those 10 people, uh, those 10 protesters camped outside Birth of a Nation, you know, that are, you know, talking about rape survivors and whatever. That's nothing. Ignore it. It's just some noise. But it just drives me crazy because I feel like even though we've talked about how we need to keep fighting the good fight, we need to stay vocal. We need to stay on top of this. I'm sorry, but part of the reason why I sometimes I have to stay away from these stories, you know, in my daily life when I'm not just, you know, when I don't have the ability to sit down and talk to you guys about this and, and just hash it out is because I can't, I can't handle it. I cannot fathom why this is okay. Why is this okay? Why are we not taken seriously? Why? I don't get it. When I told you about that, that article, and you know, you know, Deadline.com is already on my, on my ish list, okay? They're already on my list. They're already pissing me off with saying something. This was uh, last year. They had a headline, and we, I'm sure, have all come across it. When they were talking about five shows, in fact, when I first came to your show, when, when you guys first interviewed me, I think I mentioned this, that this article dared to give five examples, five examples last year of diverse casting in an ensemble or lead role on network television. So that's already a very specific, you know, piece of the pie. We're not even including basic cable, streaming cable, premium cable, all these 400-plus, you know, scripted series. Five examples. I believe at the time it was, you know, Jane the Virgin, How to Get Away with Murder, Blackish, Empire, uh, Fresh Off the Boat, okay? This article listed five examples, but dared to ask in the headline, no less, is this too much of a good thing? I quote, I quote, within the body of the article, it dares to ask, has the pendulum swung too far in the other direction? I was irate, and I know I was not the only one. Everybody on social media, everybody on Twitter, just put them and the person who wrote the article on blast. I was, and I couldn't believe it. I, I turned into these people. I turned into one of these angry, irate, you know, social media haters. It's like, screaming, you know, at the top of my lungs, like, I mean, we are not a trend, lady, okay, we are, people of color are not a, quote, trend, we are here to stay, 
we want to see some sort of reflection and representation of that in the media. That is not too much to ask. And five TV shows, five out of 400, is not too much of a good thing. Okay? All of a sudden, it's just like, oh, too much, too much color. They're freaking out. Oh, my God. They're taking over. I was irate. So why should it surprise me? Why should it surprise me that the very same publication does an interview with Kevin Feige, okay, co-head of Marvel Studios, and literally one of the very first questions, the first of the puff piece was, what do you think of this pseudo-controversy regarding the Ancient One? Well, if that isn't a clear slap in the face, pseudo-controversy, really, I don't understand why are we not being taken seriously? Why? What is it about Asian people that makes people think that you can talk nonsense about us, you can disrespect us, you can cast a white person to play us, you can cast a white person to circumnavigate, you know, the, 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 the story that should actually be told, and that we'll be okay with it. It's acceptable. We'll let it go. What is it about us that makes you think that we're going to sit back and have you make fun of us on the Oscars when you spend three hours on that whole telecast just hammering diversity? How dare you not nominate any black actors well, okay, yeah, well, no Asians got nominated either. I mean, that's why I get so frustrated, because they pit us against each other. They make it seem like the word diversity means black. No, it doesn't. There are other people under that umbrella, under that definition as well. Why is it that you're so afraid? Why is it that it's so ugly you know, to get into these political conversations when it comes to black people, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, when it comes to Black Panther, when it comes to Luke Cage. But when we complain, when we get upset, when we want to stand up for ourselves and the way we're being portrayed or not being portrayed, it's a joke. Why? I want to know. Why are we not being taken seriously? Can somebody answer me this? Well, I want to say, let me, let me shout out Q-Storm quickly. Uh, Q-Storm, and I, I did think about this. Uh, you know, we do know that Jason Scott Lee and Lauren Holly, I think, my, I guess maybe 20 years now, I think it's been that long. I think in the late 90s, maybe 99 or something like that. Or may, I don't I, It was been a while. Um, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. That was re- respectable. I don't know how, how well it, 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 uh, it holds up. But they they clearly showed the racism and also um our friend from twitter mongo slade he uh referenced the kung fu the kung fu slight that bruce lee dealt with and i I referenced that a lot uh we spoke about that ad nauseum that that is something that remains in my head and that, that also was talked about in the jason scott lee portrayal of bruce lee uh he says here mongo says uh, what about Kung Fu? What, wasn't that supposed to star Lee? But the studio wanted a white character. Well, that went down. That's what Kung Fu, 
you saw Kung Fu in the early 70s with David Carradine, and then it was, it was reprised, uh, I think, sometime in the early aughts or maybe 1990s, where they, they, they went into it again still with Caucasian actors. Well, you know, it's clear. It's one thing to do that in the 70s, but to go into the 90s, into the aughts, and to still feel comfortable in doing that was another slap in the face. And we're at, we're approaching 2000, I mean, uh, 2020. We're approaching 2020. And th- there's still this thing, this comfort in being able to slight people. Um, why is it still going on? Well, you know, when you're dealing with folks that are, are, are of a protected group, whether it's black, brown, yellow, red, um, you're, you're, you are not going to be able to tell your story. And if you do tell your story, it's going to be told with constraint. So, you know, it's, it's a lightning in the bottle when you get a Luke Cage. And when you do get a Luke Cage... I wonder. I, I I had one of those Claire moments. I, I wasn't comfortable in going going into that game because it is very tiring. That when we were lauded over uh, lauded over Luke Cage last week, uh, feeling a certain way. You saw a lot of black female representation, uh, brown folks. I mean, it was it was Harlem. Uh, you had a fair share of naysayers on Twitter saying. Why, where was that? Where was that? The diversity for white people. Uh, I only looked at 20 minutes of Luke Cage, and I couldn't take it. It was too black. Why is it so? Why is it so black? So Claire, my sister, <laughs> I'm clearly with you. Um, it 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 was very difficult, very frustrating to 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 be into the Luke Cage thing, and for people to have this this negative like. Why? Why is it black? So, why can't certain things be Asian? It's, it's the same thing. It's the it, same thing. And, okay. And what, and what makes it even? What I'm makes not it even, even more, asking for a whole cast. I'm not even asking for a whole cast. We can't even get one. What's going on? We can't even get one. And what, you're trying to tell me that oh well, Bruce Lee's story should be told by a white boy? Oh yeah, the Great Wall of China. Get Matt Damon. I mean, what the hell? Are you kidding? Oh, the ancient one? Yeah, white. Ghost in the Shell? Yeah, white. Aloha? Oh, well, she's going to tell everybody throughout the whole movie that she's Chinese. But you know what? Let's get Emma Stone. I'm just like, this is comical. This Um, is comical. If this isn't the white folks saying, F you, over and over again, I don't know what is. Uh, okay, just to warn you, right as we're doing this, the Iron Fist panel is going on, and I'm I'm looking at some of the stuff coming down my Twitter feed. Yeah, we're gonna want to avoid this, all right? Because uh, I got a couple of friends who are dealing with just what Claire is talking about, and it's it's on the verge of getting ugly. So yeah, some people just don't understand. Well. Again, I've seen articles that are going in on Marvel has an Asian problem. That's, that's literally, I think you can even Google that. Just put in Marvel has an Asian problem, and you'll, you'll, get, you'll get an article on that. And I think uh, I, I would have a hard time understanding 
that this Iron Fist thing, listen, we know the character Danny Rand is, is a blonde-haired guy. I mean, that's, that's how he was written. The only, the only saving grace that we might see, and they better, they better figure it out. They better, t- they better go use this as a seed to, 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 to build on it. Um, in Luke Cage, you saw that Claire Temple Claire Temple looked at this advertisement, picked up, you know, she took a flyer, a small flyer, looking to get martial arts lessons from Colleen Wing. So we know that's going down. Um, I'm thinking that we might see a Shang-Chi. Now, the way that Misty Knight was able to do her thing, and now let's talk about a Misty Knight series. If they were smart... Because I'm not the biggest Iron Fist fan, truth be told. I like Shang-Chi. I find him, more, I find him more, a more compelling character. And that's probably because just as Luke Cage was analogous to the exploitation period when that comic book came out, the, the, the master of kung fu, a.k.a. Shang-Chi, was analogous to the martial arts films uh, that were coming out uh, from the Shaw Brothers and so forth at the same time. Hence the show, being, this show even being called The Grindhouse. Uh, the Grindhouse in 1978 would have clearly been uh, a double feature with Jim Brown on one side <laughs> and Bruce Lee or some Shaw Brothers film on the other side. You know, or, or rather, Iron Fist, down knows what I'm talking about, a Shaw, Shaw Brothers, uh, you, you would have seen that. I mean, that, that was our superhero films during that time period. So uh, if they're smart, and I'm, I, I really hope, because Marvel's been very astute, and they're going to keep on doing They can't continue to do this because it's going to, it's going, it's going to boil. And uh, it's, it's, just not, it's just not good business. I mean, it's, it's, listen, in my book, I'm, I'm, I'm about morality. It's immoral, and it's inaccurate. But it's also not good business. If they, if they had actually considered an accurate, kick-ass, high-performance, high-performance art piece for someone like Bruce Lee, someone someone with that kind of heft, it would have everybody would have seen that. Everybody would have seen it with, with an all Asian or mostly Asian cast if it was about that work. If they put in that work with Asian folk, it would have been no problem. They would have been shocked. Listen, Luke Cage, uh, Netflix went down. The streaming yeah, service went down. I mentioned with that. I said Netflix, okay. the server went down. It crashed because of the overwhelming, you know, response to to Netflix, uh, to uh, Luke Cage's premiere. So on Saturday afternoon, it went down. And I was only able to watch the first episode before, you know, jumping on the podcast. But that goes to show you that, you know, they, even they, have no idea. Even they cannot anticipate what it is that people are actually, you know, craving to see. Even though we're screaming at the top of our lungs, they still have their own very specific idea of what it is that, you know, an audience wants, because in their mind, that audience is white. 
they'll they'll deny well, it. Well, they'll deny it all day long. But that's their key demographic. That is ultimately who they are trying to please. Well, you know, mm. something I talk about something I talk about quite a bit with I, I use the phrase reading the room. This election is going to is, is going to be about reading the room. That the demographics just as time goes on, the demographics are just not in the favor of some of the mainstream the, the mainstream imagery. It it's just not. So if you are a smart, shrewd person, you would tap into that. This this diversity thing is becoming a thing. When I when I am at Comic Con and people of color, Asian folk, uh brown folk, not even black folk, Asian folk, brown folk are passing Daryl and myself cards about blurred con. Okay, that's that intersectionality going on or cross building going on. That's when you know it's going down. And I'm not going to see I'm personally I'm personally offended on a lot of levels with this Bruce Lee thing because I look at Bruce Lee as as a, I have Bruce Lee books, fitness books, many many black and brown men uh of a certain age wanted to be Bruce Lee. Dow knows what I'm talking about that uh anytime there was some tomfoolery uh in in your neighborhood, if it was if you were playing uh, you know, street uh stickball, you were also thinking you were Bruce Lee and tr- and trying and noon chakas and all that kind of stuff. He was a phenomenon, especially in urban America. So all of us are looking for an accurate portrayal of this man. And uh, some of the imagery of people of color, whether they, whether they be black, brown, Asian, all of the people of the earth, we want to see the real. And this stuff is going to tank. No one's going to see it. And for it to continue to, going, go, to go down like this, um, you know, and, and, you, and unfortunately you're going to have people that are going to hate too. You know, I, I, I thought that the, the, that the Luke Cage film was, was fine. For someone to, and what makes it even more makes it even more absurd is that when folks were upset about Luke Cage being quote unquote too black, whatever that means, uncomfortably black for white or, white audiences, uncomfortably black, um, that you sit there and say, well, am am I mad that blacks and Asians weren't in The Sopranos or or Seinfeld? I mean, at some point, I mean, it's 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 just. It's just effery. I mean, I really that's hilarious. I mean, effery. that is hilarious. And I don't know if you happen to catch the the Emmys, but, you know, when Alan Yang and Aziz Ansari had won for, I believe, best, best writing in a comedy for a particular episode of Master of None, um, he, you know, he mentions that. He mentions that in this country... There is approximately the exact same number of Italian Americans as there are Asian Americans. And yet, the representation and the lack thereof between the two, it's like night and day. It's like night and day. Even though there are approximately the same number of Italian Americans and Asian Americans in this country, but they get the Sopranos. And we get long duck dong. That's what he said. He says we have a long way to go. Absolutely, he's right. He's right. As he's holding this 
this prestigious award and this Emmy, he's right. We, this is nothing. This is just a drop in the bucket. We have a long way to go. And that's, you know, when it comes to so many of these shows, any of these genres, any of these characters, am I mad that there aren't any Asians in The Sopranos? Um, no. No. Am I mad that there weren't any, you know, much much color or much, anything, you know, diversity, especially in the early years of um, of genre shows like like Supernatural or whatever? No. Why would I expect that? Why would I expect that? When the show came on like 12, 13 years ago, we're talking about two, you know, pretty white boys straight out of an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog driving around in a 67 Chevy Impala. This screams quintessential all-American. This seems just clear as day what the tone is. I'm not going to be angry that I don't see diversity, you know, especially in the the setting that, that the show had really taken place for the first hell for the first five seasons of the show so i mean to to be upset that luke cage which is based in present day harlem to be upset and to say that the show is too black it's too too much blackness i'm just like well i don't understand exactly what it is you were expecting but i'm I mean, I personally thought it was refreshing. I will be honest, I have not finished it. It's been a crazy week. I have not gotten through it. But, I'm, I mean, have you been to Harlem? I mean, have you seen black people before? Like, I don't understand that comment. Oh, he's too black. Too much of the blackness. Oh, 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 the blackness. I can't handle it. I just. <laughs> what are they going to do when Black Panther comes out? Oh, oh, let me tell you, that came across. Claire, something else, too. I mean, let me tell you what's also going on. Some, let me tell you something else that's going on. It's always, it always boils down to this. Uh, one of the tweets said that uh, it was a young man. I'm assuming it was a white young male. And he said that he, he, he checked out Netflix Luke Cage for a few moments, and his girlfriend was with him. You know oh, what this yeah, is going. Oh yeah, he told me. His girlfriend says, "Hmm." Like in a, in a kind of you know uh, not, hmm, sexually admiring hmm. way. Yeah, exactly. You know, not like hmm. it's mm, like that. Yes. Yes. Looking well, at looking at, looking at Mike Coulter, looking at Luke Cage. <laughs> okay, it's not hmm. It's, oh boy. Hmm. Okay, yeah. break me off a piece of that. <laughs> well, well, Claire had to yeah. take it the next level there. Okay, well, All right. well, I can, you know, listen, I'm not good. I'm not good at interpreting that. So anyway, <laughs> uh, um, and he said, okay, that he said that'll be enough of that. So, I mean, you can't you can't even have a fictional black man getting his groove on. It, it always goes. To, it always boils down to that. It always boils down to that. But, uh, you know. Well, then if that's the case, if that is the case, well, damn. Does that mean that, that white folks are even more threatened by Asians? That we can't even get in the door? 
Well, they're not threatened unless, because everyone has that thing. Uh, if the if a white male, and I don't, I don't, because we have white listeners, so it's not everybody white, but let's we're talking about the 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 meme versus individual white people. We have progressive. Clearly, we have progressive black, uh, white people because we saw them at Afropunk and Blurs Meet. That's another element, also. You know, even when when you go to uh, a discussion about logic, and logic is is of uh, African and Euro extraction. Um, it's a multiracial affair. Many many of these 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 panels are not all black panels. Everyone is there. So. You know, it, there's a great deal of dishonesty with with the, these these higher ups that do, that don't want to deal with what's going on. But this inability to read the room is going to be the ruination unless they correct this. But the element the, the, the element is, is is in the room that they, that in the beginning they they have an issue with this stuff going on. But as far as Asian, as you said, as far as the Asian thing, um, if if a, if the white male is in control over it, of it. Then it's fine. If it fits his, if it fits, if it fits his paradigm, it will continue. If the if the Asian woman is to his liking, you will see that. I saw that going back uh, since I love films. I can't. I forgot the name of the film, but it's uh, Nancy Kwan, who I would have liked to have seen. I think I might have mentioned that. Even if, even if they were going to do a gender bender. You could have had Nancy Kwan there for the ancient one, but you know I have a thing about the ancient one. But you know, I, mean, I know Claire has a thing, but I got a thing too. Um, so what essentially you're saying is everyone that has seen the King and I got uplifted by that, but is tapped into a latent fear for white males when it comes to Asian males. Well, wait, wait, that's always competition. <laughs> I mean that's that, that, I mean, that's what it boils down to. I mean it, you you can't be the competition. Any any way to I mean it, the, the the irony is many of us are not even thinking that way. I'm not looking at other men as competition. Okay? I have my own mind. I'm not looking at some other dude, but some other there are men there are men that operate that way. They must take you out. So you you are looked upon as as competition. So they will they will denigrate you. Uh, depower you or feminize you, and what you what you've seen with um, with some of these films that have uh, that may have an Asian presence in it, many of them are based on the the, the Asian feminine mystique and tapping into that uh, the uh, notions of being uh, domicile and that kind of thing, archaic notions. I mean, all kinds of just absurdity. Geisha girl fixations, just weird, just effery. Effery after, after dark, I'd probably say the actual word because I'm, I'm obsessed I mean, with that word. So well, I can't describe it any other way. New. That's nothing new. I've been, I've been, in my own way, you know, behaviorally, psychologically, the way I present myself. I, I'm, I'm not going to be too above admitting that. I do try to have a certain edge, a certain don't F with me vibe or I'll cut you. I will admit that sometimes <laughs> I do lay that on real thick, okay? We, we didn't notice. Like, no, no, we didn't oh, notice so, that. Uh, hey, <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm, I'm very subtle, as you can see. But you know what? I'm going to be straight with you. The reason why over the years that has 
really become prominent in my personality and in the way I carry myself, in the way I present myself, is because from from birth, okay, from birth, from childhood, in my daily life, I am combating that very subservient, weak, you know, me love you long time nonsense. I, oh, my goodness. I want to cuss so bad. I want to swear like a sailor up in here. But I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to behave. I'm trying well, to be respectful. But you can you tell. Know, speak privately. You can tell. <laughs> it's in my, you can tell in my voice. You know. You know what I'm thinking. You know I'm, I'm, I'm deeply impassioned when it comes to not being perceived that way. Because it's frustrating, especially when you're dealing with these character breakdowns for auditions, you know. It's typical, typical, the whole massage parlor girl, the nail salon girl. You know, I mean, I, I, can, I can look back on some of these movies, like, let's say, I don't know, Rush Hour, okay? Rush Hour 2. When they're up in the, the the massage parlor and Chris Tucker is all going crazy and what I I can look at that and just I can laugh you know I get it it's 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 meant to be a satire on both you know black stereotypes Asian stereotypes you know cross culturally you know odd couple kind of that updated lethal weapon whatever but but ultimately ultimately. I do give off a vibe. Just just when I'm walking around, just in the look on my face, like I am not that girl. Okay? I am not that girl. I speak English perfectly. Okay? I I'm not I'm not going to, you know, be what that little geisha girl, you know, sex slave taking care of you, you know, babying you. No, I'm not going to be any of that because to me anything that even comes close to that that energy is just so weak and I refuse to be that I just refuse it just angers me whenever I see that same tired depiction of Asian women you know I'm just oh I'm done I'm done I'm done so I hope that Colleen Wing will give me something to look at like something because as of right now I haven't seen any other Asians, you know, on TV or film, except for maybe the doctor for five minutes on Age of Ultron. Um, The, uh, what's her name? Mercy Graves for five minutes on Batman versus Superman before her butt got blown up. So I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm craving something. I'm craving some strong, sexy, badass depiction of an Asian woman. I'm, I'm craving it. Well, I think wasn't there even a uh, Daryl a, a potential Daughters of the Dragon ish thing? That, I mean, there's a lot of stuff news that can today. come out of this if it's done the right way. Yeah, as you bring that up, news today of a Daughters of a, of the Dragon um, um, series coming out from Marvel. I don't know; it, it, it probably it's going to be limited. And the fact that they had the actress playing Colleen Wing during the Netflix Marvel panel. It come and showed the, the video package of Iron Fist and showed her in action. So, 
Hey, hey, we're inching closer there. But well, like I well, said, yeah. don't skimp on the representation or the, the character development. I, I do want to move forward, but I, w- I do want to mention this one quick thing, and we'll move forward. Again, folks, if you haven't guessed it, this is the Grindhouse, an impassioned Grindhouse. So that's what you, you would expect from us. 646-915-9620. I will say this. I do think that um, if they were to do to do a Colleen, Colleen Wing and some of these other characters of Asian descent, um, they, they, they would almost have to do it because Mar- so far we've seen Netflix, they kind of go in deep. They need to have Asian folk in the background, not just like Matt Damon would want it, just in the front of the camera. They got to get writers, writers in there. They got to get consultants. They got to get people to go in deep. And I'm pretty sure if it were to be a masterpiece, if they're looking to do a masterpiece, and right now they kind of put themselves up against the wall, because now we we really can't expect. You know, you, you, they can't really do something whack now. So if they're not, if it's not going to be whack, that means you're going to have empowered Asian men, men and women, especially women, that are going to say pretty much what, what Claire just said in cinematic form. So I'm crossing my fingers that we might, they might have to actually go there in order for it to, to be something. If it's going to be transcendent, they're going to have to say, we're not who you think we are. So I'm looking forward to that. And we, 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 you know, we, we, we'll see. With bated breath, we will see. Um, and not to dismiss... Not to dismiss uh, Ming-Na Wen, who has always oh, yeah, well, been a amazing. You know, I've, I've loved that. her over the years. And, and I just feel like, again, to me, they could have done more with her character over the years. But, but whatever. And, it, you know, they're just now, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. They've sprinkled it in. They've sprinkled it in throughout the series, acknowledging Sky, Daisy, Quake, her, you know, her parentage, her lineage, and just, you know, addressing it. Because years ago, I will tell you, years ago, if you were Hapa, if you were half Asian, half white, nine times out of ten on a TV show, that would not be acknowledged. If you could just pass for an exotic-looking white person, you would just be white. You would just be white. Case in point. Um, what's her name? Kristen Crook from Smallville. Oh yeah, right. She but we is, knew we were, she was Asian, though. I could tell. Look at her. Look at her. She's half Dutch, half Chinese. Jamaican but too. But in by the, the show, in the show, it's never acknowledged. In the show, she's just a white girl, even well, though they, she clearly does not look white. White. Well, they acknowledged it in that Chun Li movie, and we all yeah. went, "Yeah, yeah, too late now." Exactly. That was like the biggest apology, you know, campaign. But it again, they went too far in the other direction with that hokum, that silliness. But what I'm saying is, is that I'm I'm trying to be cognizant of what little progress there is, that there is some, you know, nuggets of representation here and there. There is some acknowledgement here and there, which is good because one of the showrunners, uh, Jed Whedon, you know, his co-executive and co-creator and wife, Marissa Tankerowan, she is she's Filipina. So I'm glad that they're, you know, aware. They're putting it in. 
but I just feel like cinematically, you know, theatrically, we're getting shafted every which way, and I'm just I'm I'm tired of it. I had to like what brace the- myself when you were telling me about this whole birth of a dragon thing, but you know what? Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised? This tradition has been going on for a hundred years. It's not going to stop anytime soon. That's why on we that have note. to. Th- yeah, that's why on we that, have to highlight the quality. We have to keep on, on highlighting note, the quality. On the note, because uh, <laughs> kiddos, you know, we're trying to get the bills paid. You know, we've been looking for that. So let's. Um, <laughs> this will be. This will make sense in the in the in the afterplay when we get these sponsors coming through. So anyway. Uh, we got we got to keep the lights on. Let's go to a groove, and then we're gonna get back. We got to talk about. I'm gonna only do about five minutes on birth of a nation because after what we just spoke about, I don't know if I, I think I'm about spent. But I, I do want to just acknowledge it and then move on. Uh, Legend of Korra. I'm glad to see that that's returning at least in comic book form. Westworld and The Flash season three, they premiered. So we've got to talk about this stuff. So on that note, keeping the, keeping the lights on and also going to a groove. This is someone that I became familiar with. Actually, part of the Afropunk, Afropunk um, lineage, I'm finding out, which made sense. But the indefatigable Logic name-dropped this as one of his favorite artists. This is Toro y Moi, day one. We'll be right back. Toro y Moi. We'll be right back.
much good music out there, folks. Uh, again, uh, one of the cool things about an event like the New York Comic Con is that you have folks that are of, of this, and this, this was mentioned, this subcultural connection, this cross-building, and one of my favorite new hip-hop artists, or relatively new, lyricists, who, who does lyricism, um, Logic name-dropped that artist I just played, Toro Ibuwa, and again, that was day one. We're back. This is the Grindhouse. The call-in number is 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. we got about 30 minutes remaining and still a lot to unpack, so I'm going to do a quick run-through. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to see the birth of a nation, which was, I guess, a tongue-in-cheek uh, turnabout is fair play. We know about the 1915 birth of a nation. Uh, that heinous film, um, it, was, it was viewed at the White House in 1915, Woodrow Wilson as president, uh, D.W. Griffith. Uh, it's considered a classic. It's considered a part of cinematic history. Uh, I think he went on to do a film called Intolerance, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, these, of course, were silent films, black and white. And in that film, you had the Klan positioned as heroes. The Klan were the Avengers <laughs> of their day for the, for the uh, white racist uh, infrastructure during the early part of the 20th century. And again, Woodrow Wilson deemed it a, deemed it a, a uh, masterpiece, and he had it viewed at the White House. So now we're literally 100 years later, and we have another birth of a nation. This time it has a whole different... Turnabout is fair play with Nate Parker as the actor and director, and he garnered a $17 million windfall with getting the monies, really getting in, into the financials uh, of doing this himself. This is a relatively young, young man doing this. So um, I was very proud of his acquisition of the deal, but unfortunately, um, many things do not necessarily come easy. Mr. Parker, when he was a student at, I believe, Penn State, going back into the uh, early, well, late 90s, which we're still talking about almost 20 years now, he was acquitted of a rape charge, um, a date rape incident, uh, with someone he had a relationship with. And that girl later on committed suicide many, 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 many years later. But he was formally acquitted, and he never... He never um, shied away from this incident. Um, what makes it interesting to me is that he has been a working actor for quite some time now, and this, this was, has been a part of his bio. But now that a film that, is going to, that, de, that depicts the biggest slave insurrection in the Americas, that now that that is what's happening, now, it, it, it becomes uh, front and center. We, we are at a point where we're, at, we're in the, the, the midst of a social media phenomenon, and it has to be, it, it, it has to be put out there now. Um, I hope it does not 
really derail this film. That's my, that's, I think the film must be shown, it must stand alone from anything else dealing with this young man. Um, it, it's a rough road. It, it definitely is in the same vein as 12 Years a Slave. Um, you, you're still dealing with these films that are historical in nature. It's, it's based on a true story of Nat Turner, who was a, a slave who could read, who was, who was uh, not only was he literate, but he was also um, a, a preacher. And this was a, as he would put it, a calling by God. And essentially, you know, the movie shows his early development, and it shows through his eyes in, in, in maturation the kind of, kind of horrors that he saw that led him to this, this, uh, this act of violence. But it was a rebellion. And uh, I'm not going to go into it so deeply because I, I'm getting uh, uh, tweets that I, I don't want to you know, spoil it for anyone. It is a historical event. So, I mean, you could simply go to Wikipedia or do the research, uh, the Confessions of Nat Turner, uh, whatever. You could do the research to find out what happened. It's pretty well documented. I will just say this, uh, and I'll end it at this point. There's always been this thing about the pain of African Americans drudging this back up. And we're, we, we, are, we are being told, even to this day, that, you, you know, forget about it, forget about slavery, go beyond it. It was so many years ago, so many, so many uh, you know, since 1619, um, many of us were not slaves, so allegedly you do not know that experience and, and yada, yada, yada. Mind you, the, the recent opening of D.C.'s Black History Museum, or African American History Museum, that one of the guests was the daughter of a slave. Now, this woman is, is elderly, but she's still living in the 21st century, and her parent, either her parent or grandparent, pardon me, but I, it might actually be her parent, was a slave. So it's, not, it's still very much connected, still very much connected. Um, it's American history, and we, you know, in comparison to Holocaust movies, it's a drop in the bucket. I think there, there might be upwards of 100 or, 100 or more, I think, because I remember hearing this figure recently, maybe upwards of 100, 100 or more Holocaust-inspired films. And I think there may be under 20 slave films, under 30 slave films, at the most, at the most. There's way more Holocaust films for, for a tragic his, historical period that, dare I say, just is not as lengthy as slavery. Slavery was three centuries plus, and the Holocaust was just not that, let's say, more than a decade. And there are, let's say, a hundred. I'm thinking there's more. Uh, I understand there's pain connected to looking at, at these films. I, I had a difficult time looking at, looking at this film. You're, you're, you're writhing in your seat. 
um, there's this part that I'm a quiet guy. I'm not the just like Claire talks about her stereotype. Black folks at the movies talking. I said a couple of things at the screen. I will confess. Um, I just got to say this one scene. <laughs> okay, damn the spoiler, because it's, it's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. And I referenced it. There's a scene where um, Nat Turner, as a, as a, a, a slave that could read, and it was a preacher. He was he was kind of a tor- he was used as a touring act to go to other plantations to calm the slaves through religion. And you know you saw the varying degrees of treatment by their slave owners. I mean, some of these folks, you know, you had slave owners slave owners that were you know a bit more quote unquote kind. You know, they were for for, for what for what the institution was about varying degrees of cruelty. And there was one one plantation that he had to visit in order to uh, to, to, to give the word to, to spread the gospel. So he goes into this, um, this essentially this torture area, where his two slaves are just you know got their mouths bound, their mouths and everything because they were they were refusing to comply. You see the connection with when I use refusing to comply. They were refusing to comply, and their mouths were um, were bound. They they refused to eat. So the slave owner casually forces open with the help of another, uh, I guess with an overseer, opens up the mouth the mouth of one of the slaves and starts to use a hammer and just chips away at each tooth, like pop, pop, pop. And I sat there, and I, I was like, I'm doing it now. I wish, you, I wish the audience could see me. I'm rubbing my brow. Like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm looking at this thing like, this is, this is, this is Beelzebub, clearly. Imagine that. He's just chipping away at the man's two teeth. One, like, took his entire mouth out of his, out of, uh, and took out his teeth out of his entire head, and forced food down him, down his throat. Um, I was unaware of that slavery, that slave um, torture. There, I mean, there are others I am aware of. I wasn't aware of that. So we, so the bottom line is, and I'll close it, close out on this. You got to have a Black Panther. You got to have a Luke Cage, even Charlemagne the God, 105.9 or 105. Point, is it 105? What is it, Daryl? 105.1 or 105.9? 105.1. I think it's 105.1. Yeah, 105.1. Pa- the power. Even he was lauding over because there was an interview. There's an interview with Nate Parker. Um, he was lauding over Luke Cage. He said, "You have to have the Luke Cage." You have to have um, Black Panther. You got to have the sci-fi and the fantasy and the fiction and all that. And you have to have a slavery film. It can't just be the slavery film because then it it, it goes on. It, it's just it's about it it becomes poverty porn or becomes suffering porn. It's just something you have to you have to deal with. And I I I, I will again. I didn't really want to see Birth of a Nation because I, I know what I'm going to walk into. And that scene I just described, I didn't want to spoiler it, spoiler it, but, um, spoil it, pardon, pardon, pardon me. But um, it's going to haunt me. That scene right there, even though it's, it was put out there for cinematic effect, I'm sure it's, it was reality. Um, that's it. I, I can't go any further into that film. It's, it's, folks, just see it. 
it puts things into perspective. Um, Daryl, you didn't see it. Go see it. Claire, if you I've seen parts it. of it. I'm not going to see it right away because of of certain things connected to the people, but but I will have to see it. I I, I have to. I I I can I can uh, have an open mind and go and see it. Uh, I already know. Like I said, I've seen parts of it. It it it, it is powerful stuff, you know. But at the same time, I I have some women in my life that have been attacked and the way the movie studio and he has treated that part of it that no one wants to bring up you know I'm a little taken aback by that so I'm too much I'll just say this Darryl listen I understand that but the man was acquitted and don't let that be because they're hoping that that linchpin is going to cause people not to see it and I'll tell you this if Nate Parker was going to do the sequel to Soul Plane, they would not be doing this. It's uh, that that's what makes it dis, disingenuous. If he was doing, if he was, if his next movie was with Kevin Hart, we wouldn't be talking about a 20-year-old uh, incident which he was acquitted of. So I, I, I got That that's that's what it is for me. If it was something else, um, I would hear your, I would hear what you're saying, but. The fact that we're bring, it's being brought up, it's, it is meant to clearly derail what this film is about. And I'll leave it at that. Um, let's move forward. We've got about 17 minutes. Uh, did anyone see – well, you know what? Before we get to Westworld and The Flash, Legend of Korra gets a comic book that's going to continue where, it, where the story left off. It's almost like Buffy. Uh, the, what, is it? What, what is it now? Is it like season 8 or 10 or something? They literally go by season in the comic book now? Darryl? I think it's season 11 for Buffy. Season 11, a comic book. So they're doing a similar thing with continuing the story of Korra. I love the Korra series. Um, I hope they go back into the Avatar. Even, I would like to see Avatar present day. You know, although I dig, I dig the, the, um, the steampunk aspect of, of the series. But uh, I will pick up the comic book. So definitely pick up the comic book. But what are your thoughts about them even even doing that? Can I say I told you so? Let me just tell everybody I told you so. I, I've been telling you. Pick up the Avatar quarterly comic from Dark Horse. Eventually, we are going to get a Legend of Korra one. All right? Because the writing and stuff is like straight out of the damn uh, uh, anime. Or the damn cartoon, okay? It, it picks up the stories. It continues on. I got to see because uh, Gene Louis Yang ain't, isn't going to be on the Korra uh, graphic novel slash comic, but one of the creators of the series is going to be actively writing it. I got to see how he transitions, how his visual style on screen translates to a visual style on the page but given how this has been going how how can you say you're a fan of this and not pick up these books all right so folks that's dropping i think they said october which is cool because it's a natural drop date because after avatar gets done with this north and south thing that that should be over in September, 
the way it works out. And then October, here's the Legend of Korra graphic novel coming out. So there you go. Um, also, there's going to be a, Mul- a Mulan live-action film. Um, you know, uh, Claire name-dropped Ming-Na Wen, and uh, she was in that. She was, she was Mulan. Uh, B.D. Wong, another one of my favorite actors, he's in it. Eddie Murphy was in it. Uh, Miguel Ferrer and so forth. So um, George Takei was in it. Hell. So let's see if they do something commensurate with the vocal talent. Because right now, you know, <laughs> I know Claire's chomping at a bit, but uh, I would. I, I How can you screw? A, a Mulan role. is going to be white. Just wait that? and see. Just wait and see. Mulan is going to be white. It's no, going to no, be no. Uh, Emma Stone or Rooney Mara or Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence is going to be Mulan. Watch. You'll see. It'll happen. Uh, no, 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 because if that happens, then Ming-Na will actually turn into Agent May in the Calvary, and <laughs> Disney and Disney would be in, in trouble. Well, All right? Well, Let's listen, put it that Disney, way. Disney is, her, is, Disney is still her employer, so I'm pretty sure that, I mean, first of all, I wouldn't mind even seeing some of the, you know, I don't think they could play, obviously, you know, the, the, the actual characters, but they could still be someone else. They could, you know, they, they should be. Uh, a shout out to the fans of the film to have some of the vocal talent still involved, maybe as some other characters in the Mulan story. But again, uh, like Claire says, I mean, you know, you, you almost have to expect the worst because the, the hubris of some of these folks. Um, you know, and I think I, I, I don't know if I even answered your question. I know you were speaking kind of, you know, extemporaneously, um, but uh, as to what, like, why do they continue to do to do this? Because you're talking about hubris. Now, after looking at birth of, the, birth of a Nation, it's hubris because they can, and their mindset is, is based on a certain type of formatting. Hell, you got me to use the word more, more uh, frequently, defaulting. The defaulting, this is the way it is. You, you think you're, the world revolves around you, everybody else takes a back seat or no seat at all. So um, anyway, uh, Let's let's move forward because of time constraints. Um, the Flash season three. Let's go to Claire Lene. Your thoughts on that? What, what were your impressions? If you got a chance to check it out. Personally, personally, there were some elements of the episode that I really liked, that I was very impressed with. I wanted to see more of. I wanted to kind of explore, but overall, I was very disappointed. I was very disappointed. You've got to be kidding me. You have 23 episodes, okay? You have 23 episodes ahead of you, right? So so let's enjoy. Let's delve into Flashpoint. Let's have fun with this. Let's actually give the audience a reason to believe that that Barry would have a hard time, you know, pulling himself away from from this new reality. I know ultimately the Flashpoint story is that he effed things up really badly by going back in time to save his mother, which drastically changes the course of events of, of life and his and, and history and has, you know, huge, uh, you know, 
circumstances and 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 world you know events that are somehow tied to it. But for this show, for this show, it doesn't have to go into all that, obviously, because that would further complicate the matter. And as we know, DC TV is very separate from DC film. But that doesn't mean that you can't have fun with this idea, the conflict that Barry would have in terms of all the pros and cons of why he really wants to stay, why he really enjoys having this new life where he gets to have both of his parents and, you know, doesn't have to take on all the responsibility of the world. But my issue with this episode is that they wrapped up Flashpoint so quickly. I don't understand. You have so much ahead of you. Why not take at least, at least two, at least two or three episodes to really give us a story arc for Flashpoint? Really delve in. This was a non-starter for me. This was nothing special for me. This was just another villain, you know, another freak of the week, another metahuman gone wild, another whatever, with a teensy, teensy amount of time travel conundrum and uh, paradox involved. I was really disappointed because there were certain elements that I was liking, that I was enjoying. There's one moment when... When Reverse Flash is trying to tell him that, oh, don't you worry. When everything starts to fall apart and you start realizing how you've messed up, you know, all these different uh, situations and, and circumstances surrounding you and your friends and your family and you begin to forget who you are. You forget that you're the Flash because time is rewriting itself. Your memories are going to change, and everything will be... I mean, those conversations, I enjoy deeply. And when Barry gets angry, and he's like, you go to hell! And just that whole moment in which we get to see him unhinged, similar to when, at the end of season one, he was having these these really poignant conversations with Reverse, a.k.a. Dr. Wells, I was excited. I love those moments. I love those moments because we want to see our lead character challenged. We want to see him unhinged. We want to see how he deals with this. But because they rushed, they just rushed through the story and wrapped it up so quickly with only a mere hint of, of foreshadowing, I was very disappointed. I'm not going to lie. Very disappointed overall with with the how they wrapped it up. I would have liked to see more of, of Wally as Kid Flash. I would have liked to have seen more of Barry getting to know Iris in a very different set of circumstances, a different relationship, but yet still having that spiritual, you know, star-crossed lovers connection. Like, I don't know you, and yet in my heart, I know I do. I know that we're meant to be together. Like, playing with these ideas, and yet from a completely different set of, you know, experiences. I wanted to see more, explore, but they rushed through it, and to me, it was a disappointment. And honestly, I didn't even bother to watch Arrow. 
<laughs> because I was, as I said before, so disappointed with season four and the season four finale. I was like, I'm done with Arrow. I just can't. Just can't. Ooh. Um, Darryl, Gauntlet laid down. Season, season three. Uh, well, I, I said it before with other storylines here. I know the show is named The Flash. There's no need to actually be The Flash and creating these stories and rush right through it. Okay? I, I, uh, hey, I will, I will delve into my positives. Um, the Flash, a.k.a. Kid Flash, a.k.a. Uh, uh, Mr. Clonsdale, he's growing into the role. I'm enjoying this. He's growing into the role. He's starting to, you can see he's loosened up a little bit. Now, whether his self in the regular universe is the same way, pardon me, uh, I got to see. I love that they brought the rival in, Edward Claris. Okay, again, anybody who knows the show knows how much I love the Earth 2, well, I won't say Earth 2, but the JSA legacy characters and their villains. I love that. I love that because it, it keeps my comics, like, like my comics history alive coming down. I, I know, I'm sure I put the picture up on Twitter. A lot of people are like, I don't know who that is. Jeff Johns JSA, okay? He's not in it long, but they explain his whole history and how he was a dark reflection of Jay Garrett. But I'm, I'm with Claire on this one. It's hard on one episode to feel how, uh, how he got so bonded with this new universe, all right? You, as the viewer, you have to see it. To emphasize with it. That way it makes him wanting to reverse everything. It makes you get emotionally connected to that decision. Alright? When you wrap it up so fast, you're left sitting there like, what? This just happened? So, Claire, I'm with you on that. It's been a it's been a complaint of mine about the show since season one because they've taken some of these storylines and MTV'd it, like just gone straight fast. Like, oh, we gotta get rid of this storyline now, and then you're left. But there was so much to do with that, you know. So, but. I will say this. They did say that the effects of Flashpoint, Claire has said it on her report before, will be felt in the other series. I just wish they didn't do it off of Flash's series so fast. As far as Arrow goes, interesting concept. But by now, is there anybody who doesn't know who Arrow is? I mean, it's blatant. It's blatant. You, you, hey, he should just do a Tony Stark and just get up in front of the mic and say, I am Green Arrow. That's it. That's it. That's it. I mean, but if you you haven't seen it, we get the first steps in, uh, in the creation of Mr. Terrific. Not exactly how I wanted to get start getting created that way, but we do get that in this one. Back to you, Afrener. Yeah, we got about three minutes remaining, <laughs> so I'm going to be very quick about it. Um, well, I, you know, listen, I, I'm a Flash stand. You know, I said this on countless times on the show that I was introduced to comic book collecting from Mr. Starks, from 
from these crumpled up comics he had in a paper bag. And the first comic that I saw at the top of 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 the comics of his collection was a Flash comic, and I was just, I just, I have a thing about that about that character. Um, but I will confess that I thought that they should have explored explored Flashpoint more. Um, I'm hearing though that one of the possibilities as to why they did not extend that that storyline was because um, it's a the. the Flash is a victim of his own own success that is connected to all these other CW properties that if you stay... I mean, this is what I've been told. That if you stick around too long in this universe, what's happening to the other other properties under the CW umbrella? Um, some of the characters that were deceased in Arrow, might they be coming back? Like, what does it... You know, what does it do to other other storylines... If you know Flash can't necessarily stand on, stand on its own because we've we've even seen him do things uh, when they had these these um, these crossover affairs where he he would go back in time and it would affect what Ollie Ollie's life. So if they did a whole season of that, or even or even let's say half a season of that, it would be how would you how would this stuff be addressed in the in the other series? It would be a writing nightmare. So, I mean, that's that's for practicality reasons. That's probably why they did it the way they did it. Um, And 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 even then, even even when he did do this, we might still see some exploration, mild exploration with the other properties under the CW, with what he did in Flashpoint. But uh, duly noted, I I agree with you. I would have liked to have seen more of that world. Yeah, three episodes would have been great. But when we got Earth Two last season, and you saw that it was it was it reminded me so much of Fringe. It had a Fringe vibe. Um, just aesthetically, it reminded me of Fringe. Well, it, it kind of has like an Art Deco. It's it's new, but it's old. Um, that's that world. I like the fact that we were in that world for a little bit, but I don't I don't think they could have really explored explored this Flashpoint world because. It would have been it would have been other things going on. Matter of fact, I'm wondering that the reason why we see a Supergirl, because he went into a different dimension to be on to be on the CBS series to do that crossover. That if if she's permanently in the CW world, that it must have something to do with Flashpoint. <laughs> well, of they, course, of course, and they they have hinted that they've had hinted that all is, you know, a, a happy accident. That with the crossover, you know, originally being through a different multiverse, whatever, or or whatnot, because it is the CW versus CBS, and now she's going to be part of the CW world, and they're planning a major four-part crossover in December. So, of course, all the things that we're hearing, you're right, it is a, it is a product of its own success. Because now it is carrying the responsibility of launching storylines that will directly affect the other shows. So, yes, Flashpoint Paradox will somehow rewrite everything to where Supergirl exists in the same world as these other folks, as far as I have heard. That's a possibility. And then with... um, with the 100th episode of Arrow, 
we're hearing about all these dead characters coming back. So you're right. There's probably a lot to play with, you know, a lot of moving parts when it comes to juggling different storylines for connected shows. But The Flash, being the one that has the most, the highest ratings and the biggest popularity, is carrying it. It is the science fiction one. It is the one that and all these different um, elements that can complicate matters. All I'm, saying, all I'm saying is that while that can be a nightmare, trying to write for heinous how it affects the other, I just felt like there was just a wealth of stories and, and, and opportunities to, to really delve into to make us care, to make us give a damn. When season one, when season one, you know, series finale, when he, when he chooses not to save his mother because a future self signals him not to, and he listens, it is so painful. It is so sad. You know, season two, in my opinion, not, not quite strong season one, but again, have that moment on Earth 2 when he sees a life with Iris where they're married and they're working together and his mother is alive and he gets to call her and hear her voice. I mean, these moments, they touch you. They grab you because you, you know what it means to him. Wrap things up in one episode and just telling the audience that he's been in this timeline for three months you know, during the hiatus, but just, it, it, it robs us the ability to feel invested, to give a damn that he has to let all this go, that he has to sacrifice yet again. We don't care. We're not invested. This is episode one of the season, right out the gate. You need to give us a chance to build a connection with this new set of circumstances, with his relationship to Iris and, and this, new, this new relationship with Iris, his relationship with his parents, you know, with Joe, with this rich, snobby show. You know, you have to let us have fun with it because that's why we enjoyed Earth 2 so much. Although, personally, the two-parter of that whole thing, they did so well, you know, on the first episode of Earth 2. They totally fell short on the second episode but anyway that's here nor there I'm just saying that while practically you're right it does overcomplicate things because we're talking about four shows connected I just felt like they really wasted <laughs> an amazing opportunity you know hyping this up and then basically ending it in the first episode I just I was, that's done yeah it's mainly the Joe storyline we we need to know why Joe fell so fell off. We're so used to J- Mr. West being what he is. Even in Earth Two, Mr. West was a beacon of strength. And here, if you haven't seen it, folks, if you haven't seen, I won't I won't spoil too much. But Joe is not Joe. Oh my God, Joe is falling off. He's a wreck. He's an something, absolute wreck. Something, 
something quickly because we're already in the in the podcast mode. We're no longer uh, airing live. Um, I want to extend it for another ten minutes, if 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 we may, only because it's still some stuff I, I want to quickly address because it's important. Um, and our listeners, folks, you know, again, we're in the podcast format, but you'll be able to listen to this, um, well, in the podcast format. Um, with with Flash, one cool thing though is that Dow, you probably peeped this. The gentleman that played the captain in the Flashpoint was part of the original series. Phil Lamar. Repeat it again, I'm sorry? Phil Lamar pointed this out to me. I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, go ahead. Keep on going. Yeah, the great Phil Lamar. Yeah, um, yeah, that gentleman, I recognized his face, and then I didn't put it two and two together. But, yes, he played, like, the best friend of of – you know the, the gentleman that plays that plays the Flash's father now. That he they so they they they, they know how to put the timeline. I think they, I think he had the same name too. The same it was the same character name and everything. So hey, we uh, like, to believe that there's some connection there. Yeah, like I said, it 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 wasn't a total. I mean, if if uh, like characters usually on this, you'll be able to see them on the regular timeline, so that door is open. So that's a cool connection. It, it, like, folks, don't get us wrong. We're not totally hating on this. We just crave more. I mean, when you're doing a timeline story where someone willingly changes the timeline, all right, and and the, I give the Flash creators credit for this. They didn't just let it be, all right, Wally created the new timeline, and here he goes. He's living perfectly ever after here in the new timeline with his parents. Folks, for every action, there is a reaction. It's an old phrase. It's an old fable. Nothing comes without a cost. And I think the Flash Riders did show that cost. It's just they showed it too fast. All right, now moving forward still, because I still got, you know, we got about 10 minutes <laughs> that I've extended, and I want to go through some of the stuff that I thought was very important in mentioning. America Chavez, Marvel's America Chavez. Um, Marvel conceded now. Now, I, we reported this a few weeks ago, that that character, a Latina of the LGBTQINSTD, whatever, I shouldn't be sold, but I mean, there's other, there's more letters they're adding that I'm unaware of. Anyway, um, that America Chavez is very popular, very popular character, but the the creators wanted to get get her her own solo series. Marvel was kind of hemming and hawing. Again, not reading the room now. So they took it took it to Image, and essentially the same character. What was it called America Comics, I think. Daryl? Yeah, or something like that, yeah. So I don't know what's going, to, what's going to happen with that deal, but now Marvel has conceded to, to giving her her own series anyway, and it's going to be called simply America Number 1, or America, and it's number one. So, you know, I'm glad to see that. I'm going to pick up the book, but it's just funny that I guess they played hardball after all, and uh, what happens in that image book, I have no idea if that deal has faltered or what, what's going on. No, no, I think the image book is still going on because on this, this America Chavez book, it won't be those creators on it. So you're going to have a funny dynamic situation here where you're going to have two versions of the same character 
on stands at the same time. I, I got to see how this happens. I, I, I really – listen, so, one of the few characters that has not been adversely affected by this uh, Civil War II junk has been America Chavez. If you look at her in Ultimates, she's still that strong character. Okay, so she – so the creators – I mean, I know they left Marvel because of this situation, so they, 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 they have still have nothing to do with this America number one coming? As far as I know, the creators of this proposed book, uh, A, A, haven't been named, or at least I haven't seen them named, and B, they're still going to go ahead with their book at, at Image. So if they're going ahead with that book, then they're obviously not doing this book for Marvel, so we're going to have two competing Americas on the stands. Okay, I, I thought... Wow, that that's like a. Uh, I hope that's not the case, because then you're talking about like some kind of backstabbing thing going on. Like they, well, they they were they were campaigning for this book, they leave, and then you go and then you do the book anyway. Well, remember, Marvel didn't have plans to do this, but Marvel saw how many people gravitated to the image book saying it's about time we've been waiting for her to get her own thing she was the breakout star of young avengers take a look at what she's doing in ultimates and go like uh and then they announced their book so coincidentally what was it three weeks ago they announced it four weeks ago coincidentally they waited till new york and the comic-con to announce this book so it, it this isn't this isn't from from the the pureness of the heart here. This is uh, like business head to head here. All right. Well, it, it, it does say. So now we're going to have an America America Chavez and America Vasquez at yeah. the same time. Right. Yep. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, so as you're saying that you're going to go pick up this book, I'm not going to say that until I see the creative team on it. And that creative team better have a somebody of gay, lesbian, and trans situation and be someone of Latin uh, uh, background that we trust. Because Marvel, hey, hey. Hey, I ain't falling for the shell game here. All right? If you you announce this book, it better be a quality writer behind it of color, of of uh, gender specificity here. You know, one other thing, and let me be re- more respectful. It, as you said, the acronym, you know, it's only because I just got used to being able to say LGBTQ. It's LGBTQIA. So at some point I'll look up to find out what, what the rest of the letters for? mean. I think, well I, well, I know, let's see, uh, let me go through this. <laughs> Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, I think, is Q. It's not queer. I think it's questioning. I and A. Questioning? Questioning. Like they're not sure I of think, what they are. They're stuck no, in the I, middle. But I, mean, I and A. I and A? Yeah. Oh, we gotta look this up. I'm gonna look this up. Hang on. What what is I and A? I I uh, you know I, I you know that now the way I just made that sound oh, okay. makes it sound I think, bad. I think I think I is intersex. 
eyes intersex. Okay, and, so uh, I lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, queer, intersex, asexual. Because I've also heard questioning. I've actually seen that too. Okay, I I, I wouldn't put queer in that, you know, because that's covered. And asexual, really? I wouldn't put asexual. Oh yeah. In, well, you know what? It, it does say here. It says to recognize this inclusion, a popular variant as the letter Q for those who identify as queer or are questioning. Oh okay. All right. All right. So. And so, I uh, intersex. And what what was the A? What was the A? Um, Claire. Asexual. 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 Oh. Okay. I would. You know what? Okay. I mean, hell, as of lately, that's me. <laughs> well, that's welcome me. to that for you. That's for the dog. Like nothing is going on right now. Let me tell you. There we go. Yay. Right. Right. I'm not touching that. <laughs> Cue up the cigarettes. Lower the lights. This 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 show this show's gonna get weird. Hey yeah. hey, this is this is grindhouse. This is grindhouse after dark. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what, Claire? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that is true, but you know, I, I've been I've been toying with the idea because I desperately want to say the effery word because it's, it's, I've been finding myself that certain things going they go down that it, it it gets to the to the to the to the lowest common denominator where I can't think of any other word that just, that really describes my anger. And that word effery is like the absolute. When I anytime I pull that word out, it means it's a wrap. It's I can't go any further. Anyway, quickly, anyone see Westworld? Oh yeah. I, let me say Damn this it. quickly. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, I'll you know, I'll send you some information. <laughs> Westworld. <laughs> uh, I've I've never seen the original one in its entirety. Oh. I've only seen it as an aesthetic. Like, I, you know, it's just some things. I mean, it was like in 73. You know, so I, I, I could only see these things in reruns. So, I, you know, I never really, you know, I don't even know if I have it on DVD. And I, I, you I see, might. You see, but, we finish. do it to clear all the time. You got well, your hold homework. On, hold on, let me finish. But I'm aware of the significance. I know that Yul Brynner was one of his last roles. And I and I know that that... that uh, uh, what's the guy, the, the actor uh, from Right Stuff that plays the Yul Brynner role? Claire, you know this gentleman. What's his What's his name? Uh, Ed Harris? Ed Harris. I think the ginseng must be working. Yeah, Ed Harris plays the Yul Brynner role. And, uh, I mean, I, I guess what the first one, if I, if I remember, because I only remember p- bits and pieces, that you didn't necessarily know you were dealing with androids. I think the androids kind of came about somewhat like a Rod Serling effect, like you were, you found out that they were androids. In this iteration, it's clearly a theme park, and you find you, you know it's it's early on you find out that they're that they're androids, but they appear to be sentient androids. But they're sentient androids that that are programmed to behave in a certain way for the amusement of this of the theme park of the theme park visitors or the theme park attendees. And what makes it interesting is you're wondering as a viewer if there's a point that the 
that that the androids become tired at at their their the, this this role they're playing for the amusement of their customers because there's a lot of abject cruelty, there's a lot of violence, and it's it's almost like a Groundhog Day effect for the for the android. Um, and they are not allowed to kill the the human. For I think they're called hosts. The androids are the androids are called hosts, and then there's the customers, and their interaction because the androids are so human like they're they're basically seamless. You really can't tell. So um, I like what I see so far. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, the great Jeffrey Wright, who we saw at Afropunk, shout out to him. Uh, he actually um, in- introduced the Power Jam, and everything's tan- tangential. We see Vernon Reed weeks later at at uh, Comic Con. So it, it, it is kind of funny how you run into these people. So the world's emerging. I like what I'm seeing, but it's very ominous. Very ominous. Well, uh, Sir Anthony well, Hopkins is in this thing. So. Yeah. Well, you know what it is? Just to give uh, viewers uh, or listeners a quick, like, description of it, take the new Battlestar Galactica, okay? Cross it with, uh, what's what's the name of the the farm book? That uh, uh, Animal Farm? Uh, Animal Farm? Animal Farm? Yeah. Where, the, where the, the, the animals get awakened to what their situation is? All right, Match, so, George Orwell. Yeah, so you you you're taking those two properties, you're combining them, and then literally the director and producer goes like this: and oh, there's a new Blade Runner movie coming out. Okay, Bap, we're gonna set this bar high. Come at us. That's what this Westworld did. That last 15 minutes. Oh my that God! That is exactly that is exactly what someone else just told me just <sighs> just recently when I was asking him if they saw it and I didn't want any spoilers and he says that it's a very very slow burn but the last fifteen minutes were jaw dropping. That's exactly what he said. The last, so now I'm looking forward to it. This is what I wanted from humans on AMC. The last fifth, that's what I was, I am still waiting for that on humans on AMC. The last 15, if you, listen, the last 15 minutes of Westworld, you are either really going to like this show, or you are really going to hate this show. That is how on the edge the last 15 minutes are. And you're left sitting there wondering, I gotta go back and take a look at the last thirty because I thought he, I thought she, wait, what was that? Holy cow, they could do that! What the hell? Oh my god, the last fifteen minutes of this, people. Yeah, yes, it starts out slow because you got to do a little bit of world building, but the last fifteen minutes—that's all I'm telling you. Go ahead, after yeah, you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to give away too much because there is a thing. That happens where um, you see that there's going to be a change, and it's very and, subtle, and it changes how you look at the whole thing. It's that mm. again. The last fifty minutes change how you looked at the whole show. Mm. Well, you know, and also, you know, the the, the original movie, it's like the, the the robots basically kill the humans right away, if I'm not mistaken. Like it's it's less pretense. It's not enough build up. This is a whole build up thing. And I'm also, I'm, you know, I'm reminded of this. This is my own ignorance. That, you know, there was a sequel to um, 
to Westworld called Future World. Yes, uh, uh, Michael yeah. Crichton and that whole thing. I, I don't know if that was as good. Yul Brynner makes an appearance in that, though. He does, but it, it doesn't touch. The first Westworld was a, a, was a romp. It was a horror movie. It was a technological. It was a technological horror movie. All right, where hey, it's the perfect theme park. Stop me where we've heard that one before. Hey, it's a perfect theme park, and then something went wrong. Well, this it built it more than a theme park. We are touching a lot of issues here, a lot of issues here. One one In last thing. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it is present day. Yeah, I mean, it, oh, okay. it's clearly. Okay. It's well, actually, you know what? It's probably, let's say it's probably a. It's a distant future, or near future. Oh, okay. So, I, I was about to say, in terms of android technology and and having them pretend to be cowboys for an amusement park. I mean, that's that sounds like futuristic stuff. That's cool. It's cool because yeah, I want to. I I'm, I'm looking for something really interesting like that. That kind of is philosophical, touching on that Blade Runner, Total Recall, kind of thing. So this will be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, the the, the last... old movie. The old movie was definitely they they went like into the 2000s and and where they thought by this time we're in flying cars and all of that. This one, it's like the near future. I would say it's like. F- 50 years ahead of where we are now because it isn't totally tech like tech is a part of everything it makes it seem like the park and the area is one of its uh, kind that makes it a unique attraction so so all these people quote-unquote rich people come to attend it and to get their fantasies out of the way and all of that so there you go It, it does have a fantasy island vibe to it i mean you know a better fantasy island, I would say. You know, I, even though I have fondness for Ricardo Montalban and all that kind of stuff, um, and, and, it, and I will say this also that it's, it, it is, it's very weird to revisit some of the older future future films when they say in the future, 1997. It's 1997. <laughs> like, you know, it's year like, <laughs> Yeah, like <laughs> I mean, they, they need to spread it out a little bit better than that. You know, I mean, if you think about. Um, uh, Escape from New York, and I think the future was 1997. I mean, Escape from New York, New York came out in what I think 80, 81, 82. I think something like that. Uh, that they could they could have yeah. They in fact, the to- like- Terminator 2. I have it. It's got yeah. it on Blu-ray because I'm just I'm re- revisiting it, and I remember how much I love Terminator 2, T1000, Joe Mort, Miles Dyson, Skynet, all that. I watching it and it's just hilarious because the whole point of the the uh skynet going live after this stick you know um nuclear explosion that sarah connor dreams of um i'm pretty sure it takes place in 1997 that oh, is man. the yeah, date of the apocalypse i was like oh my god this is great. What, it's so nostalgic. It's so nostalgic. One one last thing. We'll, we'll close shop. Um, Jordan Peele, Key and Peele, has this oh. horror film. Oh, this I don't great. know. I don't know what to think about this. I like the actor. The actor, a UK actor, Black Brit. Uh, I've seen him in a lot of uh, what Fades was a short-lived series. I really loved. 
Uh, he also does in a black, a memorable Black Mirror episode. I think he worked with um, what's the comedic actor that's always crashing cars, Daryl, from the UK? Bean, Mr. Bean. Yeah. I think he was. I think he was in a Mr. Bean series. Uh, David Kalua, I believe his name is. Um. Anyway. He's Isn't he also I, I, going to be in Black Panther. Yep, he's also going uh, yes. to be in Black Panther. Yeah. Yes. Uh, wow. Nice. Things are going down. And, and again, these Brits seem to be able to pass off an American accent better than Americans. But that's another thing. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, okay. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Why do I? Uh, the great comedic um, stand-up comedian has his own show. He plays the father. Um, oh, come on, Daryl. What's his name? Louis. Uh, Louis. 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 Oh, Louis C.K.? Yes. Louis C.K. Pay, plays the suburban white father where his daughter is dating the uh, the Kahlua character. And, you know, it looks like everything's, you know, everything's modernized. He's not tripping. But it, it uh, we're led to believe that, you know, these black guys are, are kind of coaxed in to these communities thinking, he's, thinking it's all good. When you're dating these daughters, these white daughters, and it becomes a horror show, literally. So I'm a, I don't know what to think about this film. It's definitely different. Um, well, it's not I mean, I different. Know Key, Key, well, I know Key and Peele, they play around, play around with race. Well, I mean, I, I, you don't think it's different that you have no. a, an actual an actual horror film based on some kind of uh, interracial dating. Subtext. I I I'm I'm saying it's not different to me because this is Stepford Wise. This is uh, what what was the Fox show that that just came out? Pines, Wayward Pines. That's what this is. An outsider comes into this community, all right, not knowing there's something sinister underneath. On the surface, everything is good, but uh, one day in the back of your head, uh, things are just a little too. Perfect here, so he launches his own little investigation, and like, uh, let me check this community out a little bit, and then finds out it's uh, not as bad as he thought. It is worse, and and I heard folks already with a little backlash on it. Oh, well, it's by one of those guys in Key and Peel, and this is going to be like some funny ha-ha thing, and I don't know if they could do stuff like this. Folks, if you ever saw Key and Peel, and you saw some of those skits, I, I, I turned to the alien abduction skit, and you saw the production values and the, the thought that they put into that, I can't wait for this. I read uh, the best thing about this too is that Peel is not in front of the camera. He's behind it. He's letting these actors go with this. Because if Peel appears in front of the camera, if he appeared on that trailer, people will have a preconceived notion going in. This Hey, I liked where they left off. I'm a horror guy. Let let's see where they go with this. Go ahead, Afrina. It's curious. It's interesting. Just because I know that a lot of what their comedy 
is is oftentimes satire, and they're not afraid to tackle race, race relations, stereotypes. I'm I if I am if I am uh, if I'm correct, I'm pretty sure that both of them, Key and Peel, are from interracial, you know, parents. I believe. Liaisons. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And uh, and Jordan Peel just got married to. Oh, what's her name? Chelsea, I think. That girl from uh the Jewish girl Not from Chelsea. uh for what's her name? From from Brooklyn nine nine. Oh yeah. okay. Hang on, let me well, see her name. But that, again, another perspective on this thing. Another Peretti? perspective into the uh, Chelsea, the genre. Yeah, Peretti. yeah, yeah they Chelsea just got Peretti. married. Yeah. So that's well, obviously what that's just part of their life, you know, that whole, you know, interracial relationships and and so it's not something that they're afraid to tackle or talk about. They have a very clear, you know, point of view. They're na- yeah, they're navigating this thing. And I I I mean, I hear what you're saying, Daryl, that you we said it before, but I think using the racial part of it is one thing to be like just a guy going into some strange some strange neighborhood and they have some some Weird subcultural, uh, some <clears throat> devil worship thing going on, but now this is this taps into just the whole premise of, because listen, I would assume many black guys that have dated this. Well, you know what? I I, I can't even. This, I this, this goes into almost this, this goes into a reality thing. I mean, even though it's kind of played over the top, you know, it, it this whole thing of. Where we're treating you like everything is cool, welcoming you, wel- welcoming you into our home, but we're secretly going to indoctrinate you and, and maybe kill you, is a little different than the the, the 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 usually it's a quick frontal, visceral reaction. At least it used to be, and I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure even to this day, even though things have lessened, um, you still have aspects of it. And I think it's returning since um, uh, Trump wants to make America a great again. Um, but that's I don't like know. Stepford Wives. I'm, I'm, well, this is if you want to date one of the Stepford Wives. That's why I think it's a little different. <laughs> well, hey, hey, there's a lot. It's like you don't want to deal with the racial part of it, man. The racial thing is black dudes dating white women, and their fathers and the community might kill you on some subversive-ish. That okay, is a horror show. And that was Stepford Wives, except it wasn't color. You know, we need the perfect wife. You need the perfect wife, man. This is what we're going to do. You, you're going to lure her, we're going to kill her, and we're going to replace her with the robot. Or we're going to make her undergo a process where she becomes all set of 50s Pleasantville. You know, I hear you, that's but, the same but, thing. But, 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 now, wait, wait. I'm not denying the racial. For me personally, it breaks the fourth wall. It's something about it that makes me feel extra. It's, 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 it's tapping into a subconscious thing, I think. But go ahead. Okay, and isn't that what this is supposed to do? That's what made Key and Peel so good, all right? And like Claire said, it was a lot of racial satire. But like Key and Peel, like Chappelle before it, you're laughing at it, but at the same time you're thinking in the back of your mind, hey, this really does happen. Hey, how can we get above this? Hey. So that's why I really want to see how you handle this. Right? Because this is a live grenade you've just tossed in the middle of the room. 
Let's see how, how you get around this. Let's see if you tackle this head on. Let's see how you handle it. And, again, I trust Key and Peel. All right? Remember, in the beginning, I didn't like Key and Peel. I thought, oh, it's derivative, oh, oh, oh. And then in that second season, as I saw how they navigated through this stuff, how they took on issues head on, I was like, you know what? I'm growing to like them. At Dorothy, love them, all right? And then you see their movie appearances? Yeah, I, if you haven't seen Keanu yet, I don't know what's wrong with you. Go see Keanu, you know? All their satire, all of their, they don't shy away from this. So now you're going to bring it in a horror movie context, all right, or at least a psychological thriller or a murder mystery type context. I want to see how they handle it, all right? To, to me, as a guy who's, hey, most of my girlfriends have been white or Latin, so I've had to deal with the outsider in uh, 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 another um, uh, gender, race, a quality situation, all right? I want to see how they handle this because it get, uh, the horror movie can't trust anymore an uh, aspect. You feel that every day when dating someone of another race and being immersed in, in their culture, all right? But you throw the horror movie aspect on where don't trust nobody back against the wall. Oh, my God. Did she know about it? Did she set me up here? Is she the person I really knew before? I want to see him handle it. That will be good. All right. On that note, folks, <laughs> we went far beyond, but we had to kind of clean up some of this stuff. Claire, as always, I appreciate you as it, forevermore on our show. Definitely we couldn't do it without you. Um, Daryl. Uh, I wish I could go do another Comic Con. I have a ticket. I don't know if I'm gonna be. I don't. I think I'm. I think I'm pooped out. <laughs> we'll hey, see. if you, you could go ahead, man. We got our peoples there. Shout out to Black and Cassius and Corey rocking things down there. Go, hey, our peoples are out there strong. Go, but I folks, <laughs> we're here. That's the point. All right, we're on, not going away. On that note, on that note, uh, paying bills. We'll explain. <laughs> Lord willing, by logic. Shout out to him, by the way. We, we really didn't even talk about, about what he did, but maybe next week. Anyway, always a pleasure. Lord willing, by logic. Next week, folks, it's been real. New York Comic Con. Okay, now this is a feeling. Lately, I'm like a villain, because why they own that other shit? I've been posted out here chilling, Lord willing. I survive, but not like that nine to five. You know this, that shit that you bumping in your whip while you drive. I've been living life, and I hope that you do the same. Because if you ain't doing what you love, it's only you to blame. Come on, I've been through the game. By the time that they know my name, I'm a down for the pain. This music, my Nova Kane. Lord willing, we overcame. Time to get over, man. I've been around the world and back, and I swear it's all the same. And what I learned, a prophet don't do it for the profit. Go get off it, check the topic. Watch me drop it, can you stop it? I don't know, I've been at it on the low Never did it like this here before But I'm still in, I just hope I'll make a difference Make a killing, Lord willing uh, uh, Lord willing uh, Make a difference, Lord willing uh, 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 Lord willing I tell them, hold on And yeah, you know that I gotta bring it back again And I tell them, hold on I don't understand what's happening 
then this is me and my attic For this rap shit, I'm an addict But can't fuck with that dramatic I've been busting my ass They probably think it's automatic Yes, sir, I done this shit before Like your baby mama, mama I'ma tell them like it is I'ma tell them like it is Life ain't picture perfect We use the negatives to develop I'm well up, I'm way up Nothing but net fuck the layup I'm well Bitches losing calories Out here jumping to conclusions Can't fuck with they delusions I'm on that 101 cruising Okay, way back in the day I'm rapping away But no, not quite like this Living like that in a way Guess you can say maybe when I'm right like this Not quite like this on my level I'm unique and I'm a rebel Like you listening I hope that you're listening Just feel like the summertime Waiting for the bus Number nine through the city All alone Not a worry, not your phone We just robbing Maybe flying around the world Man, I hope you see the world And all your dreams will unfurl Just don't ever catch your pearl Go out there and make a living Take this advice that I'm giving Make a difference Make a killing Make a killing Lord willing So I tell them, so I tell them.